Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> BFFT. Now. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights, live from Providence Park, site of Portland versus Seattle. Here's John Canzano with a ball-faced truth. I'm sitting inside Providence Park. I am all set up. Timber Sounders tonight. Providence Park, seven o'clock. Big time rivalry. Is it the best rivalry though that we have in our state? I want to hear from you when you talk about rivalry games, rivalry matchups. You know what it takes? It takes two competitive teams. It takes two fan bases that are passionate. It takes history. There is a Portland-Seattle thing, and I thought for years, and look, I'll say it, we're in Portland. I thought for years we had a little little brother sort of complex going on with Seattle. You know what happened with the Blazers? Paul Allen owned the team. He's a Seattle guy. He hired Nate McMillan, Mr. Sonic, to be the coach. He drafted Martell Webster from Seattle Prep High School and Brandon Roy, the University of Washington guard. I thought they were gonna move the Space Needle to Portland at one point. Remember when they introduced Nate McMillan as the Blazers coach and they went up to the Rose Garden uh, uh, up above Portland, at a, up on Washington Park and had a big news conference. They were trying to connect their Seattle roots with Portland. And I don't know if that necessarily worked ever, but we've got a rivalry game tonight Timbers are fighting to make the playoffs. Sounders trying to spoil that. There'll be a whole bunch of fans inside this uh, building for this game. Uh, we will talk a little bit of soccer. We'll have the coaches of the Portland Timbers and the Thorns on the show today. But we got to start by talking about the elephant in the room. The ongoing Major League Soccer investigation into the Timbers, into their front office. Merrick Paulson at the center of it. Full disclosure, I wanted Merrick Paulson on this show. I told the media relations people with the Timbers that we couldn't do this show uh, properly without Merritt Paulson on air answering some questions. They have uh, declined to uh, present him on air because there is an ongoing investigation. Major League Soccer will not let him talk. I think it's really disappointing. I think it's a misfire by Don Garber's league. Gary Stevenson, the president of Major League Soccer, it's a misfire on their part because I think the longer you let sort of the questions and the uncertainty swirl, the more unrest there is around the fan base. And look, I'll go even further. We have talked for years about the possibility of Merritt Paulson one day owning the Trailblazers. He becomes a natural candidate, with, along with his father, the former Secretary of the Treasury, Hank Paulson. He becomes a natural candidate to be the owner, the next owner of the Portland Trailblazers. And yet... We, can anybody wrap their minds around the idea that Adam Silver would give his blessing to an ownership group that was led by somebody who has the questions that are around him as Merritt Paulson does today? Major League Soccer's got to lift the veil. they got to let uh, the public uh, understand what happened with the Thorns coach, Paul Riley. Uh, obviously, the uh, Timbers and the Thorns and the organization were embarrassed by how they handled that. They did wrong. I wish they would let Merritt Paulson do more than issue a statement. But here we are today. 
broadcasting under that cloud from Providence Park. I want your phone calls off the top of the show, 503-417-7575. That's the number. Here's the question. The rivalry, the Timbers, the Sounders, the Blazers, back in the day, the Sonics, give me the uh, Ducks and the Beavers. You tell me. Biggest rivalry in our state is what? Which team? Who's the Blazers' rival anymore? Is the Timber Sounders the biggest, most fierce, hated rivalry that we have? Most passionate rivalry? Or is it uh, college basketball? Is it a Ducks-Beavers thing? Is it, is it the Lakers and the Blazers? And if so, do the Lakers know that they're the Blazers' rival? I want to talk about rivalries off the top of the show today. Wherever you are listening, I want to hear from you. Pick up the phone, give me a call, let's talk about it and kick it around because you're going to make me think about something that I haven't thought about yet. 503-417-7575, I want to talk rivalries. Here on location with me, the great Judah Newby. He is uh, settled in with us. We're in this old stadium that used to be a minor league baseball ballpark. I wish it still kind of were in some weird way, Judah, but uh, let's talk rivalries. Where does this rivalry rank in your mind? It is way up there, way, way up there. Probably a top two or three rivalry in this region in my eyes, especially when it's in this venue. You can go up to Lumen Field. You can have an experience there. It's a football stadium. You know, there's more capacity, but it's built for football. Yeah, it's not the same. This being soccer-specific, and you know the history with this venue in particular, but this soccer-specific venue with the uh, the new increased capacity that opened in 2019, when they packed this place out with the Multnomah Athletic Club backdrop, with the, the Sounders always travel a massive amount of people here, this is a, a top two or three rivalry. I think Ducks-Huskies is way up there in college football. And Do Ducks, you think Ducks-Huskies is bigger boy, than Ducks-Beavers? I don't think it is going to be this year. But there was a stretch there where it was. I think it, coming out of the Jake Browning when Washington yeah. went to the playoff and then, you know, they, they kicked Oregon's butt and knots in, in Justin yeah. Herbert's freshman year. It really went to another level there for like two or three years. Yeah. Oregon won up there in Seattle. This year, though, I, I think Jonathan Smith has got to the point. They won the rivalry in 2020. I think Ducks-Beavers is better than Ducks-Huskies at this point. But I, I still think Oregon-Oregon State is one. I think Portland-Seattle soccer is number two in my eyes. I think it depends, you know, where, what sport you're talking Obviously, it depends on what sport you're talking about. But I know these Sounders fans are going to bring their middle fingers to Providence yeah. Park tonight. <laughs> You've been on the other end of these, I, right? Okay, they have the catwalk. Steven, you're going to love this. You know, have you been to Providence Park as a media member, Stephen, where you go up into the catwalk and the press box that's above the stands? I have, yes. Okay, so you know you're walking. It's a weird setup. Like, I don't think there's any other setup like it in sports. You walk literally above the crowd. You're like in a catwalk, and you're walking over, and you kind of look down. But what is interesting is the fans, because there's movement in the catwalk as you're walking on the walkway, the fans will glance up at you. Now, the visiting supporter section is right there beneath the press box. And so I was, you know, the very first time I covered a Timber Sounders game, I'm walking there, and I'm kind of looking down and marveling at the chanting that's going on and the Sounders fans that are here. And all of a sudden, I get, I'm getting double-barrel middle fingers from all the Sounder fans who are flipping me off and telling me to, you know, <laughs> jump in a lake. And so uh, I'm, I'm, like, yelling back at them, like, hey, I'm just a media member. Like, I'm a neutral party. They didn't care. They didn't care. They're just here to... Hate on anything that is Portland. Hate on anything that is not Seattle. But in your mind, Stephen, biggest rivalry. Go. Uh, I I, I kind of disagree with Judah. I think it's Oregon-Washington football. And I, I think it's more because I think Oregon-Oregon State, yes, they hate each other in the, in the same state. But when I talk to Duck fans, it seems like they always have more hate for Washington. And now that Oregon is above Washington as a program, I think Washington hates Oregon and wants to get back to that spot because Washington owned that number one spot in the Northwest. So 
I kind of think it's those two as the number one rivalry in the state. I think it's interesting because I think if you ask Beaver fan, Beaver fan's going to say it's the Ducks. But I don't, I don't necessarily think all of the Duck fans view the Beavers as the competition. Yeah, right? I think the Duck fans have a lot of respect still for Oregon State, and they don't really treat them like like a true competition yet. But they just so they don't even respect it at all. What What will it take? Because Oregon State, you know, punched Oregon in the nose a couple of times in in football recently in this rivalry, and you know, I think Oregon State really does play up for those games. I don't know if the Oregon players, especially the Oregon players that Mario Cristobal was recruiting out of Southern California, viewed Oregon State as anything. I think they were looking at USC, yeah. UCLA, and going, those are the teams I grew up seeing and, and rooting against. Beaver, Beavers have to beat Oregon in Autzen. I don't think that's happened since 2007. It, until they spoil Oregon in that rivalry in Eugene yeah. and make them drink from that well. Was that James Rogers uh, on the fly sweep? Yeah, I think so. Touchdown? And I yeah. think the Beavers held on fourth down. I think Scott Crichton was on that team, yeah. uh, if memory serves. Huge, huge win for Oregon State. If they can spoil something in Ots, and that would be the moment where that rivalry goes to another level. Because it's one yeah. thing to upset them at Reeser. That happens. It was in the COVID year. Everybody will bring that up, too. If you can spoil the goods in Eugene, I mean, yeah. that, that Oregon State would get the upper hand. Isn't end. it going to take Oregon State to either get to the Pac-12 title game or to beat Oregon to get to that situation? Because that's that way Oregon will take them seriously as a real threat. I don't think Oregon sees Oregon State as a threat at all. Yeah, I think they've got to punk them, uh, you know, beat them at their own field or knock them out. This is a season in which, you know, a lot of people are picking Oregon to either be first or second in the Pac-12. But, you know, Stephen, you heard it on Media Day when Jonathan Smith did his interview with us. He said he's, he wants to win all 12 games. He wants to go to Vegas. That was new talk from Oregon State. I liked hearing it. I think that would definitely fuel the rivalry. But uh, I just think it's interesting that one fan base looks over at the other and goes, that's our rivalry, Beaver to Duck. And then Duck fan and Husky fan are going, no, 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 we're focused on each other. Meanwhile, who's the Blazers rival right now? <laughs> Who is it? Uh, Neil O'Shea. <laughs> Blazers need a rival. Yeah, I, the Lakers is the natural. We always hate all things L.A. It's always yeah. beat L.A. But it isn't the NBA, and this is kind of the thing with it. It's more player rivalries now. Yeah. It's more like Dame versus Russell Westbrook, Dame versus Paul George. Or Russell Westbrook versus uh, Patrick Beverly. Yeah, exactly. In the case. Yeah. Uh, or, or how about this? Like, the Blazer fans hate the Lakers, but I don't think the Laker fans know the Blazer fans exist. Yeah. So is the natural rival for the Blazer fans, is it Jody Allen? Is it Burt Cold? Is Vulcan. it ownership? Vulcan. It's I, sports. I, yeah, I think we're there. Boo. And, it, and that becomes a problem. So I think, you know, when the NBA does expand, I think that will help because I, would lo I loved seeing Sonics Blazers back in the day. I love that natural rivalry. I think sports leagues need to think like that. And, frankly, I think it's we've been talking a lot about Pac-12 expansion and whatnot, but I think it's part of the problem when I think about college football is – you have to have inclusion geographically. Everybody needs to feel like they have a dog in the fight. And, yeah. and I think what, one of my big fears with all this expansion is that the Big Ten Conference and the SEC are going to kind of run away with the playoff. And let's face it, we haven't, we being the West Coast Pacific time zone, we haven't participated in this playoff. It's been Oregon once in the title game. Washington got to the semifinal. That's it. They played three games in the playoff. How close are we as a conference to getting to the playoff? Or is is the chasm as far as perception would, would dictate? No. I think I think it's closer than the perception. I think Utah is a good win on opening week away from sniffing around the playoff. Because, you know, I don't think Utah can go undefeated in Pac-12 play. Uh, it hasn't happened since 2010. Uh, in this playoff era, nobody's gone undefeated Play too in many conference games. play. Yes, they're playing too many games. 
But I think I think Utah could be a one-loss team if they win that opener at Florida. And if they're a one-loss team, I think they're in the conversation. I think Oregon's got a shot, too. I think, you know, if Dan Lanning, oh, let's just say he meets or exceeds expectations this year, Oregon should be right in there nine, ten wins, maybe. And I think Oregon would be in that conversation. But I think it's Utah or bust this season uh, as we as we look at it. All right, so we're going to visit with the Portland Thorns coach coming up. We also on today's show are going to Boise, Idaho. Why are we going to Boise? Because the Broncos of Boise State would like to be in the Pac-12. We'll talk to B.J. Rains. He'll be on the program. Giovanni Savarisi will be joining us, the Timbers coach as well. I'm broadcasting today from Providence Park, 7 o'clock, rivalry game. Middle fingers will be here from Seattle. Uh, bring your pom-poms if you're a, a Timbers fan. Leave it here. you got the BFT statewide. This is the Bald-Faced Truth with John Canzano, live from Providence Park, site of Timbers versus Sounders on 750 The Game. 7 o'clock, Timbers, Sounders, here at Providence Park. Rian Wilkinson is the coach of the Portland Thorns, the pride of Quebec, valedictorian of her high school, former uh, rugby player, former uh, high-level soccer player, got a couple of bronze medals. Yep. What do you What do you do with those medals? Do you? I would wear them around. I'd wear them all day long. I got them here in my pocket. You got, you got do you Do you have them like tucked? You don't have to tell us where they are, but do you have them tucked away, or do you pull them out once in a while? No. Uh, I have a pair of socks that I keep them in, yeah. and I think they're somewhere in my sister's house. Yeah, somebody I, I've heard that before. Why yeah. keep it in a sock? I've had other Olympians tell me they're in a sock. It's easier to carry around, and they don't hit. They don't get dinged up. Yeah, keep them nice. Yeah. What's that feeling like? Because it was London in 2012, Rio in 2016. You won bronze in both. What is that feeling like to be on the podium as an athlete and have that moment? Well, the bronze in London was unbelievable. I mean. France played us off the park in the bronze medal game, and we, we had a, whatever religion you are, we had a gift from God. <laughs> Diana Matheson scored against the run of the play, and in the 91st minute, I think they came right down the field, almost scored again. <laughs> so yeah. uh, that one was unbelievable. I never even dreamed about winning a medal at the Olympics. Just yeah. becoming an Olympian was the dream, and then winning a medal just blew my mind. Yeah. I still still blows my mind. It's surreal. I, yeah. I mean, and and look, I've covered five Olympics as a as a journalist, and it's the coolest thing ever to be there because you're witnessing like this culmination of somebody's dream in that moment and you're there and you can feel the emotion and every every possession every minute yep. feels big it does in 2016 i thought we underperformed we won bronze there and it was amazing but it was really when our youth in canada really stepped up to the plate these incredible household names now Kadisha buchanan jesse fleming um and we underperformed and in that way that medal was obviously an amazing moment but the bronze medal in london was just such a we weren't expecting it yeah. and there's that's for me when you watch olympians win a medal who have no right winning it and it's just like <laughs> you know there's phenomenal players and that you kind of yeah. expect them in whatever sport to win their medal but when you see someone who's just not expecting to win it you that is a cool thing to watch and a very cool thing to experience you've made the transition from player to coach uh, i was talking about this off air but how different are players now versus maybe when you were a young player coming up in Canada can you treat the kids uh, kids can you treat the women of today like you were treated as a kid I got yelled at by my coach yeah yeah well you can hear from my voice this is not my natural <laughs> voice that um, I cannot be a yeller yeah. um, I mean I try and yell but I last about eight minutes in a game 
Um, the game's changed. I mean, these women are household names. They're they're famous, and they have expectations um, on them that I never experienced. No one, no one really cared when I played. I mean, my family were huge fans, but not many other people, and no one could pronounce my name anyway, so it didn't matter. But uh, these, these women, you know, they have to be playing in order to get the sponsorship, and the sponsorship has to be there for their name to grow, for them to then get it the salary that they're earning or deserving and there's just other elements to take into consideration but uh, the coaching part in terms of trying to help them develop trying to give them opportunity trying to make sure that they're being looked after holistically not just the soccer piece they have to feel like they belong and they have to feel like I care genuinely authentically um, and in that way I did have some fantastic coaches growing up that didn't yeah. just yell at me some of them just yelled at me but there were a few that yeah. actually cared and uh, they made a big impact on me and that's why I'm coaching I think I have three daughters and I love that the Thorns players get to play for a woman I love that oh. did you get to play for women growing up or did you play for men mostly men I did have a few female coaches and I would say every coach I ever had taught me something and that is the most politically correct answer I can give you yeah. some weren't great experiences but even those ones you know, it's really easy to blame a coach when things don't go well. Um, and that is a lesson I learned. It's such mm. a scapegoat thing to do. You take responsibility. Um, there's 11 people on the field, and it's really up to them. We, at a certain point, you can only coach them so far. Um, and the female coaches I had, I would say, were, were fighting a very different battle than I'm fighting. Like, to get any space mm. in the coaching world, you had to have your elbows out. You had to be quite a challenging character in order to even get the opportunity at the job. And I think now with... The likes of Laura Harvey, Emma Hayes, who is just here, these women who've really paved the way more recently and are welcoming women women in. I mean, both of them have reached out to me, uh, given me advice, support. I love that piece that women are trying to help one another now reach that platform when I think back when I had female coaches, they were pretty possessive of the positions they had. Rian Wilkinson is our guest, Thorns coach. You played the trumpet and the cello as a kid. Right. Okay. I got to know, like, you're dedicated to soccer. You're playing all this high-level soccer as a kid. How do you have time to learn to play the cello and the trumpet? Well, I think the trumpet part of my Wikipedia was added by my older brother <laughs> because he likes it when people have a trumpet and they ask me to play it. Oh. <laughs> I played one year in band and was asked quietly to just move my fingers. Um the cello, I started playing the violin when I was four. Okay. My mother had a sort of Von Trapp idea about the three of her kids. We had the violin, the, the cello, and the piano. Yeah. Um, so at five, I sat on the violin and broke it. Right. Um, that's how bad I was. But she really, she really tried. So actually, after the violin, I played the cello. And I played the cello for something like 15 years. Oh, nice. And I'm still awful. <laughs> I, I mean... Unbelievable. You're not passable? Like, if we had a cello here, you couldn't, you know? Uh, I'd make a noise that you guys who don't maybe yeah. don't play are like, oh, it's not bad. It's so bad. Like, the amount of money that was invested into not just me, but my siblings. It's just it's just shocking. I feel bad for my parents. They could have done more with that money. <laughs> this uh, this sport is has grown. Uh, it's probably not enough. We're seeing stories in the WNBA about teams that are struggling with travel. I know that's an issue in your league. Uh, where do you stand on that as far as you, you mentioned earlier, putting the players in position to succeed and perform it, it dovetails with that? Yeah, it's part of my job to push, to push, to be annoying, to to say that, you know, traveling to North Carolina and having two delays and, you know, arriving at 3 a.m. when we have to turn that around for training and then a game, it's not ideal. Um, it's where the league's at. And again, all the coaches, not just 
myself, we're going to keep pushing for, for better conditions for the players so they can perform at their best. Um, and right now I think things are changing very quickly, and I, I love that trajectory, but we also can't be comfortable with it. That's not where we're at. There's there's a, a piece where we can be really proud of where the game has come, and you see the Players Association making grounds and, you know, a lot a lot happening in the league in a short amount of time, but it is absolutely not where we want it to be yet, and uh, the fight continues. You look at the attendance for the Thorns games, and I, I, uh, I don't think you have a hard time making an argument that it, it might be the best success story with women's sports on the planet. Like, it might be. Why did that happen here? What do you think came together here? Why do fans here get it in other cities maybe not so much? Ooh, um, Soccer City, these yeah. these fans know what they're watching. I think they appreciate what they're seeing. We don't any, have any of that lame sort of comparison business. Mm -hmm. It's uniquely its own game, and it has its own excitement. If you're just looking for pure athleticism, like sprinting as fast as you can up and down the field, you know, that's the strength of the game. There's some, some parts of the men's game that we can't emulate, but if you enjoy the tactical piece, if you like seeing sort of the formation part, it's more visible in the women's game. I think it's uniquely its, its own thing. And the Portland organization here has done a great job marketing them separately, but also holding them to the same standard and expectation that, you know, we want to sell out every game for the women, just like we do for the men. Um, and my job is to keep putting out a product and to keep... Uh, getting the the women's name out there so that that fans these fans here want to come to the game and want to en encourage and and give their daughters and nieces and mothers and sisters the the same example that I had fortunately do you think up. do you think the crossover between the Timbers and the Thorns fans like there's a big like we were doing a Venn diagram is it is it an eclipse or is it you know is there like a 20% crossover what do you think when you look up there are you seeing Timbers fans that are also buying into the Thorns or is it a different audience I think there is a different audience for, for a big chunk of it, but there is a lot of crossover, and, and that is, again, testament to the fans here. They know the game. They're not getting caught up in trying to compare the two. They're actually enjoying the two separate games in their own unique way. So I do think there's a huge crossover, but it is also a, a different environment, the, the women's game, and I think that's what we like about it as well. There's maybe um, there's the same cheering. I think the fan section is something that, uh, unless you've been to a uh, a Portland game, whether it's yeah. Timbers or Thorns, you don't really know what we're talking about, but experiencing that is so special, and that's across the board for both teams. Um, but there is a maybe more children at the women's game. I'm, yeah. Again, I'd... Um, it's a family thing. It's a, yeah. it's a family yeah. thing, and I'm not saying it's going to be perfect in the fans, and you won't hear swearing, or you won't hear sort of... I don't know. It's not like they're out here and swearing at home. <laughs> like, you know, my kids, my my, my uh, eight-year-old will go, Dad, oh. you know. <laughs> I don't want to speak to your parenting here, but <laughs> I just think you do see a little bit. It's more family for sure. Yeah. And um, I do, I really do have to speak to my players who spend so much time connecting with the fans and the young ones, older ones, doesn't matter. I love that piece. And the Timbers do it as well, but I, I absolutely think the Thorns nail that. You come in the wake of the Paul Riley stuff, and, you know, I know a lot of people are disappointed with how the franchise handled things. What has that been like for you, to just your experience? Well, I played for Paul. I was here. Um, I think the whole league um, is being held to a very I, – I, it's not a very high standard. The whole league is being held now accountable, and I mm -hmm. wanted to be a part of this league because I do want to be a part of the change. I've worked in many countries, and I've worked for – a lot of organizations and that kind of behavior is rampant. It's not just in soccer. It's not just in women's soccer. It's across all sports and across both genders. And it's not acceptable. And we're waking up to that now. And um, a reason I wanted to work for this club is 
how I felt that they're they're dealing with it, that they're facing up to it, taking accountability, they're making changes within the club, and I wanted to be on the front line of that. I think it's important. I love this game and I love these players, and if I can help support growing the game the right way, and I, I want to be a part of that. Yeah, you know, I've been a media member here for 20 years, and when that story broke, I felt a responsibility that I had dropped the ball, that I had missed something. Yep. And I think it's not... You know, like this organization, I think, is got some answers and some questions they have to still answer. Yep. But I think um, I felt that personally. Mm -hmm. And I know you being a player here, yep. uh, you know, I, I love the way you said that, that it goes on other places and it happens other in other uh, settings as well. Absolutely. And I, li I like what you just said. It's There is a personal piece. I think a lot of people have taken this on board. A lot of people have stories and memories, things they think back to and like, was I seeing something there, yeah. or did I miss it? I absolutely did, and you missed it as a player. Like you I missed it, it as a player, but yeah. even growing up, like how many, yeah. how many times did we know that there was a coach that, like, why would you be stupid enough to be around him on your own, or why would you text him, or yeah. like so much victim shaming? But at the time, it wasn't victim shaming; it was just like, don't be an idiot. But it was never right, and uh, I think. You know, the, the club has still a lot to answer, but we also know there's legal things ongoing, and right. I hope those things get released as soon as possible so that um, it can come to light. A lot of, of what the club is doing that I know about, that the players know about, that yeah. th there's a reason the players are happy to play for this club and continue to play. There's a reason I'm comfortable being hired by this club. You know, people assume that I don't have incredibly high standards. <laughs> I wouldn't come work for an organization I didn't believe in and, and that I didn't think is is making steps to to make sure that something like that never happens again Rian wilkinson is our guest uh, a lot of parents listening to the show today who have kids who play youth sports not just soccer but all youth sports yep there is a uh and i'm guilty of this as a parent we got sucked into the club volleyball scene and it's 24 7 mm. uh, private lessons all that stuff what's the right balance help us out here Firstly, I'm not a parent, and I, I just say that because I think the pressure on parents is awful because as soon as you don't specialize them in a sport, you feel like you're not supporting your kids, and they're missing something, and they're going to come in behind everyone else, and you get caught up in the sort of rat race that is youth sport, which is terrifying. There's a reason why almost every professional athlete, whether it's male or female, that you interview talks about being a multiple sport athlete. It's... First of all, I think it, they get to choose which sport, and so then you get them doubling down. They want to do the work, and every, it's not a secret. How do you succeed? You've got to be doing more than everyone else, and if you don't like what you do, you're not going to do it. Um, but also, I think it gives you different strengths. So I was a big ice hockey player. As, a, as an athlete, I never had an ankle problem. I know I was really lucky, but I think it's because I was a skater. And with the proprioception and how you yeah. had to balance on skates, I think it really strengthened my ankles and my knees. I never had a knee injury. Basketball, you know, that kind of side-to-side, uh, -side, the peripheral vision, I think it adds to the game. You know, I don't know anything about volleyball, but I'm sure the leaping helps for hitters. Like, I think it's so easy to get caught up with this sort of race from an early age where you don't want to skip anything and you don't want to set your kids up to fail because you haven't given them the private lessons um so i i can't imagine what that pressure is like as i said i'm not a parent but i see it in my siblings and all i all i ask is have your kids look up their favorite athletes and research what they did growing up i'm so glad i played hockey i'm so glad well i'm not glad i played rugby i was forced to play rugby but um <laughs> 
you know, I I played so many sports and I loved it. And all that extra work that made me a good soccer player, half of it was in the park playing with my siblings and friends. I didn't know it was extra work. I just loved it. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I I hope we can all calm down. But it's it's a money making venture yeah. like everyone else, and the pressure's on for parents. I, I feel for them. It's become that. Uh, you know what? I brought a trumpet today. Oh, wanna have, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, I really appreciate. Want to lose all your <laughs> listeners? It's an easy way. Could if we gave you a trumpet and we said, hey. Just belt out the national anthem. Can we do O Canada? Can we do something? Could you pull it off in a in a pinch? No. <laughs> if I could, I'd under pressure, and for money on the line, I could make a noise. <laughs> That's it. how bad okay. I was. <laughs> We're about the same level of trumpet player yeah. then. Rianne Wilkinson, thank you. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, good luck to you the rest of the way. Love to get you back on too. Uh, anytime. Are you up for it? Did it go well enough today that you would say, yeah, I'd do that again? I'm on air, so I would only say, of course, it was amazing. Yeah, later, yeah. we'll find out. If she doesn't show up again, you know the answer. Rian Wilkinson, thank you. Appreciate Hi. you. Leave it here. you got the bald face truth. You've got John Canzano and the bald face truth from Providence Park, site of Portland versus Seattle on 750 The Game. Buffalo Bills have some uh, questions they need to answer. Matt Areza will not punt for the Bills in the preseason finale against the Panthers. Lawsuit uh, filed on Thursday. He's accused of participating in a, or maybe even facilitating, uh, the rape of a 17-year-old girl when he was at San Diego State last year. He will not dress for the game. Uh, the team's... Uh, kicker and long snapper ran out onto the field uh, prior to the announcement and Areza was not there although he did travel to Charlotte for the game what should the Bills do they have to shut him down right this reminds me a little bit of the story a few years ago that ticked off uh, a lot of people in this state it really divided our state and I think the Bills fan base is going to be divided a little bit over what should happen while uh, this lawsuit is settled. But I think the Bills are doing the right thing and shutting him down. They may have done the wrong thing because they knew this was coming down the pipeline and they still put him out there and sort of uh, waited until the lawsuit was filed to, to do anything. And I hate that. I hate that organizations sometimes wait to see reaction to an issue before they do what's right. Like, just do what's right. Get caught doing the right thing. That's That's good business. But Areza, who was nicknamed the punt god, is an incredible punter, apparently uh, may have not or is accused of not being a very good human being. Uh, Stephen, what should the Bills do with Areza in this lawsuit? Oh, man, it's tough because the fact that they drafted him and they knew about it, Yep, that's that's the part that gets me. Um, if I'm a team, I he would have been on the list of me not drafting them, if, knowing this. Uh, so for me, I think it's... It's tough because nothing has been, you know, he's been accused of this, right? And I think right now there are rumors online of what's true, what's not. You know, I've been reading that, you know, basically the that he, the, some people are saying he had sex with the 17-year-old, which obviously is wrong and against the law. And that would be the best case scenario that that's what comes out is that he did that. And so I think for me, I think it's got to be, he's got to be cut. Like, this is not... This is not something that I would want to mess with if I'm an owner of a team or I'm a fan of a team. If I'm a fan on the Bills, like, I'm not happy about this. And I don't care how good he is at punting. Like, you can't be having this on your team. He averaged more punt yards, more net yards than any punter in the country in college. He won the Ray Guy Award, but he was the third punter taken. 
I believe his first putt in the NFL in the preseason game was 83 yards. Yeah, I saw. I watched that last night. But what I, what I'm getting at is th- he was the third punter taken. Like there were two other teams that needed punters that said we're going to draft a punter who knew, also knew about this. These teams know everything. They know everything about all these players. I have had NBA uh, investigators and scouts that will call me and ask me, what are your, uh, what are your, you know, what is a player like? What is, what is Tyler Dorsey like at Oregon? What is Jordan Bell like at Oregon? Give me an idea of what this kid is like. And you know, I, I covered a kid named Courtney Alexander, who uh, played at Fresno State for Jerry Tarkanian years ago. And I, prior to the draft, he was an obvious first-round pick. There were several NBA teams who had scouts and/or general managers who reached out and said, "Hey, tell me about your interactions with this kid." Like they do their diligence. I saw the pre-draft report on Zach Randolph before the Blazers drafted him, they hired an investigative team to do like a 200-page pre-draft, let's dig up everything, talk to every associate. They talked to his elementary school teachers. That's how much homework these teams do. So the Bills knew about Areza and the pending lawsuit, but so did those two other teams who decided not to draft the Ray Guide Award winner and picked other punters. You know, he goes in the sixth round of the Bills. The Bills stick with him through training camp. It's in a it's a symptom to me that there's something wrong inside that organization. Like there is something askew inside the Bills organization. So it's a big red flag to me. But I also just think, like we want to treat people fairly in our society. This came up with the Luke Heimlich thing with at Oregon State several years ago. You know he was a registered sex offender. It came out that he was pitching at Oregon State. People said, oh, he paid his debt to society. Other people said, no, he didn't. He's on probation still. He failed to register as a sex offender. Um, it's, it's complex. But here's the thing with this Areza thing. I, I want to treat him fairly. He's going to get his day in court or whatnot. But I also know that there are some transgressions that rise or escalate to the level of you have to be sure about this person before you put him in uniform. And rape is one of those things. Sex assault is one of those things. And so... I think the Bills have to shut him down. I think they have to suspend him. I think, you know, they obviously have signed him to a contract that I don't know if they can cut him right now, but I think they have to suspend him and they have to live with the fact that they made a terrible decision as an organization knowing what they knew to put their stock in this guy and they're they're paying a price for it today. Yeah, the the question for me is playing in the NFL or the NBA, any professional league, I feel like there is you Unfortunately, like you have to be held to a higher standard, right? Like he does deserve to go out and earn a living, but you're in this you're in the eye of the public. You can't be doing these type of things and making millions of dollars. Like to me that is just that's not right. And so for me, like I'm with you, John, like he's got to be suspended. They got to look into it more and maybe even just cut from the team. Here's the other thing. What wasn't that long ago the Blazers suited up a small forward named Reuben Patterson who also was a registered sex offender. And Blazer fans said, oh, no, 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 he's paid his debt to society. Ruben's a great player. He's a great defender. He's a good person. You know, you read the police report, he, like, sexually assaulted his nanny. And I just want to caution fans who are listening to this. Look, it's easy for us. We can see it because it's happening in Buffalo. It's happening over there. You have no allegiance to the Buffalo Bills. It's not your team. We're all going, the vast majority of people listening to this are going to go, oh, no, they shouldn't have suited him up. They shouldn't have stuck with him. He should be suspended. He should be cut. I'll bet you about 85% of the audience thinks that right now. But let's remember that when your sports team or your college team or your pro team in your market or the team you root for makes 
a horrendous decision to back a player who's got something like this in their history or something like this happens, let's remember that what we have to put in front of your allegiance as a fan, as a team, you have to put people in front of it. There's, there was a kid that was 17 years old who obviously has now stepped forward and filed a lawsuit that you know we all should be a fan of before we're a fan of the Buffalo Bills. But remember that when it's your damn team. If it's Oregon, if it's Oregon State, if it's the Blazers, if it's you know, if it's the Timbers, it's the Thorns, whoever it is, if something like this comes up, remember that you got to be, you know, you can see it clearly when it's not your team. We can all see it clear as day. It's the Buffalo Bills. Shame on them. But uh, I think there's a real issue with fans, and I saw it. Like, I went on Twitter and looked at the Buffalo Bills mentions. Eh, a lot of people on the outside saying, you know, cut the guy, suspend the guy. People on the inside going, well, no one's perfect. People make mistakes. Uh, look, just remember that. As clearly as you can see it from a distance now, you should be able to see it the same damn way when you're up close to it. Can I Le- can, can I add yeah. something here? Go ahead, so Sean. I, I was just doing some digging on this this story that came out today, and I'm pro football talk right now. Uh, important to mention, here's a line. Tim Graham of TheAthletic.com reports that the Bills were made aware of the allegations last month, which means that they didn't know about the situation when drafting him, but that they found out before cutting Matt Hack, the other competitor for the punting job. I don't, so, bu- I don't buy you it. You don't buy I, it? I, I think they, they that's what they can say. But I'm, I'm telling you, the diligence, the level of research that they do, the fact that two other teams didn't draft him, it was out there. But they can probably lean into, oh, we weren't formally informed until last month. But you're right, like, even then, you know, they cut another punter. So they were, they, they, you know, ride or die, they were going with Matareza until this went public. So Matareza also spoke to law enforcement all the way back in November of last fall about this. To your point about due diligence in the NFL, you best believe they, they uncovered that before draft. They can say whatever they want post-fact. Someone is talking to the athletic yeah. to get that quote out there, but I'm, I'm kind of with you there. And, and it's unfortunate because otherwise top-down leadership in Buffalo, uh, from a public perception standpoint, is is you know, laudable. Like the Pagula family's a really good ownership prior to, you know, this news. Sean McDermott's a great coach. Brandon Bean is a great GM. And yet this kind of casts a cloud over it, very similarly to where it really hit locally with the Pat Casey standing up for Luke Heimlich, and he would not stand down. He supported him all the way through. Was, uh, that was a hard time, it. man. That very was a hard. really hard time. And, you know, look, uh, it, it's. I was down at Oregon State today, and I talked about it with some people down there today. It came up again. It was a hard time. It's another reminder, too. Like, punt God, let's get real. There's there's only one God, and he, he's not a punter. All right? <laughs> Leave it here. Our big splash is next. The BFT with John Canzano, live from Providence Park on 750 The Game. Appreciate those listening on 750 The Game in Portland. If you're listening on 1050 AM, Fox Sports Eugene, the Chargers pregame show is going to interrupt this show. But if you want to continue listening to the Bald Face Truth, it's available online at FoxSportsEugene.com. The Chargers game will be on K-O-R-E. Uh, coming up, we have B.J. Reigns, who covers Boise State. This is Boise State's chance to get in the Pac-12. You better believe the Broncos are lined up with that blue field trying to get themselves to the Pac-12 conference in this cycle. I'll talk a little bit later in the 4 o'clock hour about my predictions for the upcoming Pac-12 season. I have studied the schedule. Oregon will be at Georgia next week. 
man, we will be live right here with this radio show from Atlanta Thursday and Friday in front of the game. We're going where the action is. We will be there. You come along with it. Uh, we will have Verone McKinley on the show next Thursday. Uh, we will also have Jaden Grant, Oregon State's uh, safety, on the show next Thursday. I'm efforting Marcus Mariota for Friday's show from Atlanta. See if we can talk to the Falcons quarterback. He's going to be an honorary captain for that game. That brings us to the big splash. It's the one thing you have to know. Like, you have to know this. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. Well, we're all focused on the Pac-12 conference and what's going to happen with their media rights negotiations. A Pac-12 athletic director, a current athletic director, told me today that he believes that the conference is going to go all in with ESPN. Keep an eye on that because Amazon and some other streaming partners are out there floating around. I'm also told that Fox isn't totally off the table. Everybody has presumed that Fox, uh, with their big, you know, billion-plus-dollar deal with the Big Ten Conference, would not be a bidder with the Pac-12. This athletic director told me that they are uh, engaged with Fox as well. Now, it could be Fox just trying to keep ESPN honest and drive up the price a little bit because, guess what, after this round of media rights negotiations comes, the negotiations for the TV deal for the Big 12, and then comes the college football playoff expansion negotiation. Fox, ESPN, CBS, NBC, all presumably will be involved in that. But uh, the gloom and doom droids and robots that are out there preaching the end of the Pac-12 conference, I got news for them. I don't think the Pac-12 is going anywhere in this cycle. That's the one thing you need to know. Looks like it's going to be ESPN all over the place. Judah Newby. How are you feeling about the Pac-12 conference? I'm doing all right with it. I agree with you. I think ESPN is a win for the Pac-12. I don't like uh, flirting with Amazon as much um, just because ESPN, it still has the brand power that you want to be associated with. And as you and John Wilner pointed out correctly, like the geography is, is in the Pac-12's best interest right now. Those late kickoffs that we all kind of despise and yet sort of entertain yeah. and then kind of hate again is like one of the best leverage pieces we have right now. Well, I think people are going to love the <laughs> fact that if the Pac-12 can get, you know, uh, a deal that gets between 35 and $40 million to every university and media yeah. rights money every year, that would be a home run. I think they're going to do it, don't yeah. you? I think if they can get there, they're going to get there with 7 o'clock kickoffs and 7.30 kickoffs. Right. And, and I think at that point, we're all going to go, hey, thank goodness they're kicking off late. Question for you. What's better, the current Pac-12 network setup or having all the games that are currently on Pac-12 network on ESPN Plus? Not on your TV, but streaming on ESPN Plus. On your tablet, smart device, whatever. Yeah, but you can get, you can, like, if you have uh, Apple TV, you can get ESPN Plus on it. Mm -hmm. If you have uh, Hulu, I think you can get ESPN Plus on it. I think you can. You can stream it. If you have, like, so it is available, like, when I say on my TV, I literally mean on my TV. Yeah, which you can do you now know? through whatever yeah. streaming device you want. But my point is, like, I'm still an old school guy with an over-the-air digital antenna to get Fox, CBS, <laughs> NBC, ABC. Yeah. The primetime stuff on those over-the-air stuff still matters to me. I don't have. What's your TV bill look like every month? <laughs> it's free. So you for for television, right? For streaming, I'm yeah. only paying for ESPN Plus right now. Yeah. And the NFL guy that I am, I just I have NFL Game Pass. They okay. get you to so all 22. Give so. me an idea of what in in the newbie household. 
total bill for all of your sports TV entertainment. Is this, this on? <laughs> Netflix. What What are you paying? Give me an idea because my dad called me one day last year and he was paying like 178 bucks. No. I was like, Dad, no, 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 no. No, man. What I'm, at, you, I'm yeah. at like 20 yes. a month. Yeah. 20 a month right now. And I, but my, my thing is when the Blazers come around, what am I doing? Because last year I couldn't watch any Blazer games. And they're on route. Yep. And, I, and not, no real streaming service I'm going to pay for has root right now. So I don't know if the a la carte streaming is the future, but that would be the most consumer-friendly for guys like me. But ESPN Plus, they just raised their price, which is a little bit unfortunate. I get excited. If George K. can get an ESPN-exclusive deal and have all Beaver games on ESPN Plus, and I don't have to worry about streaming Pac-12 Network through any DirecTV subscription that I have or any other subscription yeah. that I have, that's great. I just want ESPN Plus to watch all my Pac-12 football, and that to me is a better product than having yeah. to find the provider that's got Pac-12 Network on I, it, but that's I actually, just for me. I have a solution for people who want to get Root and get it cheap. Mm. I should say affordable. People don't like when you say cheap. Right. There's a service called Evoca. TV. I've e seen ads Evoca. for this on Twitter. TV, okay. Right? They, uh, it's about 25 bucks a month. It'll get you by the season and it includes root. Really? So it's 25 bucks though. You do you're it? Gonna, you're going to double your, your cost I know. <laughs> yes. on that. I, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I'm going to do it because <laughs> we had direct TV and the Sunday package and all that stuff. Nah. And I did the same thing. I was like, that's way too expensive. We went to Hulu and then we kind of do the piecemeal where we add on like Netflix and yeah. whatnot and you know, we you got extended family coming in saying, yo, yo, what's the admin? What's your password? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I noticed that my nieces and nephews visited, and then all of a sudden I got this alert saying someone is you know, logged into your <laughs> right. Netflix from, like, some other state. I had, I had to change the password on. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That, that's a, there's a certain threshold you got to yeah. meet for, for, uh, for yeah. family. That's if, right. If you have the TV streaming password, you know you're it. Yeah. Uh, .tv if you uh, cool. if you're interested. It's like 25 bucks, I think. I'm going to check that out. Give it, a, give it an opportunity. All right. Coming up, top of the hour, BJ Rains lives in Boise, Idaho, lives and breathes that blue field of the Broncos. Boise State wants into the Pac-12. They view this as their shot. B.J. Reigns, uh, he's been on the show before. He is the guy when it comes to Boise State. He's going to be joining us here in a couple minutes to talk about what they're doing, what's the chatter there. I think Boise State is one of those schools that ESPN would be interested in. They already are interested in them. CBS and Fox have the Mountain West Conference currently. I think if ESPN could grab some Mountain West teams, it could take some market share from their competition. We'll talk about it with B.J. Reigns next. <laughs> B-F-F-T. Now, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, live from Providence Park, site of Portland versus Seattle, here's John Canzano with a ball-faced truth. I'm interested in the Pac-12 Conference, and I know you are as well. If you're a Duck fan, Beaver fan, if you're listening across uh, the Pac-12 footprint, you got a dog in the fight. Boise State, I think, is tuned in to what's going on with the Pac-12 as well. I wrote about it yesterday at johnconzano.com, but I was talking to the former Fox Sports Network president, Bob Thompson, and we were kind of talking about the possibility of ESPN grabbing some Mountain West Conference teams and putting them in the Pac-12. Not that ESPN would do that, but they would nudge the Pac-12 conference and go, look, your media rights package would be 
worth a little more if we could grab some of those Mountain West Conference teams that are attractive. San Diego State, obviously attractive. 1.1 million television households in Southern California. Get you back into that uh, L.A., Southern California footprint a little bit. How about UNLV? They're interesting. How about Boise State, which in the Mountain West Conference has negotiated its own TV deal historically. I think uh, ESPN would be awfully interested in that. Here to talk about it, B.J. Reigns. He's the guy in Boise. Bronco Nation News, B.J. Reigns joining us. How much buzz is there, B.J., about the Pac-12 right now in your region? Well, there's plenty. I mean, I think there's still buzz about the Big 12 as well. I mean, I think that uh, Boise State fans see either conference still as a potential possibility. I think Boise State still would see the Big 12 as a possibility as well down the line. Uh, but uh, certainly the Pac-12 uh, regionally and, and uh, travel-wise and all that would, would make some sense. And uh, I'm sure that that's something that, uh, you know, the last month or so it's been quiet. But back when all this news broke about uh, UCLA and USC leaving, that's kind of right what the what it turns to. Okay, this is Boise State's chance. they they got to, you know, try to get it now. And if they don't get it now, I think there is a little bit of worrisome that uh, you know this is kind of their last chance with this round of expansion to, to, to get in, and if they don't, that they may be left out for good. So I think there's a lot of nervous, interested fans and people in Boise looking to see if they can get into one of those two conferences. Give us an idea of what ESPN's relationship is with Boise State over the years. Very good, very good. And, in fact, I mean, a lot of people say that Boise State became Boise State thanks to ESPN. I mean, they were willing early on. Uh, you know, in the early 2000s, they were playing on Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, Thursday nights, uh, every night of the week. Uh, they were playing at 9 a.m. Uh, for a game against San Jose State to get on ESPN. I mean, they they uh, kind of went hand-in-hand with ESPN when they rose uh, to become a national power. It was in part because of all the uh, opportunities ESPN was given to put them on TV. And in return, they were given good ratings, scoring a lot of points and doing trick plays and helping uh, return the favor to ESPN. The, the Blue Turf obviously is very uh, ex- you know, uh, unique to college football. And in the previous couple of uh, deals, the, the previous deal in particular that uh, the Mountain West had with ESPN, uh, ESPN owned the rights to Boise State home games. So Boise State got their home games on, on one of the ESPN channels uh, guaranteed, and that gave them more money in terms of the battle. So Boise State gets an extra $1.8 million in TV revenue than the rest of the league. Now their home games are controlled by Fox, but uh, with ESPN, that was a, a big part of ESPN's uh, agreement was they wanted Boise State's uh, home games, and so that's what it was. And then I think when they decided to go with Fox and CBS and cut ESPN out after this last deal, uh, that didn't really sit well with a lot of people in Boise, a lot of Boise State fans, and, and frankly, people at the university uh, wanted to stay with ESPN, but uh, it just didn't work out, and the conference was the one that negotiated the rights and went with what they thought was a better deal, and, and now Fox uh, controls their home games. We're talking to B.J. Reigns, Bronco Nation News. He's the owner. He's the operator. He's the go-to when it comes to Boise State sports. This season becomes important, but it's the brand of Boise State. That fan base is rabid. I know. I've seen them. I used to cover the WAC when they were in the WAC. Uh, those fans are, are uh, crazy for Boise State. What would it mean to them to get that validation and finally uh, get into a Power 5 conference? No, it'd be huge. And I think that, you know, what, what Boise State has done on a national stage, you look at their record against the Pac-12, you look at their record against the Power Five, you know, in the last 20 years, they're doing it with a much smaller budget than those schools. And so I think a lot of people believe, similar to maybe a TCU or a Utah or some of these schools that have made the jump, 
you start giving Boise State some of that TV money on a more significant basis that uh, they could just totally take off. I mean, they've announced recently plans for a $300 million uh, new Olympic Village uh, thing with all the new, uh, you know, basically new facilities for the entire athletic department, um, you know, almost $100 million in uh, upgrades to the football stadium. Um, and they, they're really trying to, to, you know, do some big things, and I think they're doing that because they want to try to get in a Power 5 conference. But if they got the money, that came with a Power 5 conference, I think people believe, hey, look what we did with this budget. You give us some more money, you let us start having a recruiting budget and things like that, similar to some of these other schools. I think they think they could compete on a national level and show that they're uh, you know, a, a power team like they think they are. Yeah, the last Mountain West TV contract, as you mentioned, it went CBS and Fox. Uh, it was about uh, $4 million per year per school. Boise State got an additional, I think, about $2.5 million dollars. A Pac-12 team would probably expect to get about 30 to $35 million a year. That's a huge jump. I have to think the Pac-12 teams would think, hey, we could work Boise in but at a lower share to start with, and they'd probably be thrilled with it. How would that go over, do you think, with administrators at Boise State? Oh, I think if you, you just got to get your foot in the door somehow. I mean, if, you know. They're not going to agree to take uh, less money, you know, forever. But if it's a, you know, three, four, five-year uh, thing that kind of, you know, eventually gets them to even footing as everybody else, I think they'd definitely be interested in that. I think that uh, they want to get their foot in the door. And like I said, there's some concern that if you don't get it in this round, that you may get left out, you know, for good. And so I think if there was a scenario where they could, you know, get into the Pac-12 and then have to take less money for the first three, four, five years, but eventually they would be even with everybody else. I think Boise State would definitely be okay with that. I think fans would be happy with that. Everybody would be happy with that. And like I said, I think they are confident that with the increase in money, they'd be able to use that to their advantage to, to continue to, you know, do the things they need to with the facilities and to get that on par. And, and um, you know, the, the football, I know it's all about football, but the, the women's basketball team has had a lot of success. Been to the NCAA tournament like four of the last five years. The men's basketball team went to the, you know, won the Mountain West, went to the tournament last year. I mean, they feel like they have some other sports, soccer, volleyball, both been good, that with increased budgets and with increased uh, opportunity, they, they feel like that the whole athletic department could, could compete on that level. And if it means starting off with a smaller piece of the pie, I think they'd be all for that as long as it got to even footing at some point. Yeah, because I think that's the key, because what the Pac-12 needs to do right now is it needs to give Oregon and Washington and Stanford a real reason to be happy in the short term. And I think the way you do that is you invite Boise State in, and instead of giving them $34 million in year one, they're used to getting, as I mentioned earlier, a much smaller share. You give them $15 million and you slide some extra dollars over to Washington, Oregon, Stanford. Everybody wins. Boise State's happy. Could the Broncos compete week to week in the Pac-12, or would there be uh, some challenges there, BJ? Well, we'll find out starting next week, right, when they play Oregon <laughs> State uh, in, in the season opener. Uh, I think they – I mean, maybe not right away from day one, but I certainly think they can. I mean, you look at their facilities, a lot of recruits and people I talk to say their facilities are, are you know, every bit on par with, with uh, you know, teams in the Pac-12 and – um, yeah, I mean, are they going to go win 10 games their first year? Probably not. But like I said, the uniqueness of the blue turf, the, the crowds they get, the, the fan base, how hard it is to come into Boise and win. Um, I, you know, they're, they're just a team that rises to the occasion, man. You put them in a big game, you put them on a big stage, and they're going to they're gonna, you know, do something to make it worth it. So I, I do. I, I, you know, I, I do. I think you put them in there, you give them some time to, to get the you know, recruiting going and get it going a little bit. I see no reason why Boise State couldn't be uh, – 
you know, like some of those other teams, whether it be Utah or TCU, like I said, they, they, yeah. they make that jump to the power conference and they're able to get back to that level fairly quickly. And I, I, I believe Boise State is just such a unique place. And I think that they, uh, you know, I mean, in 1996, it doesn't seem like that long ago. It's only been 25 years they've even been at Division One level. I mean, they were they were they didn't go to the FBS until uh, you know FBS until 1996. And you look at their journey and what they've done through all the different conferences, and how every time they go up a level, they continue to dominate and, and get it done. And I think they feel like that this would be no different if uh, if given you know the the resources and tools to help make it happen. Yeah, tremendous fan support there in addition to that blue field. B.J. Reigns is with us talking Boise State. Do you think there's a little extra for the Broncos in week one because this is a conversation. Let's prove we belong. We're going to Oregon State. Like, I know Oregon State doesn't want to hear that, but is there something extra in week one for them? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, certainly from the fan base. I don't know if the players are going to play harder because they want to show they deserve to be in the conference or something, but um, I, I would certainly help you know, and be an extra little feather in Jeremiah Dickey's cap if they could get the win. I know last year they played at UCF, like, literally the, the day or two before or after UCF was announced as going in the Big 12, they played that game, and uh, and then um, they were up 21-0 and then, and then lost that game late, and that was kind of a really, you know, one that they would have liked to have had because they obviously wanted to get in the Big 12. So, um, yeah, I think it would certainly help. I mean, you know, I know they don't just look at one season and all that kind of stuff, I and mean, I think Cincinnati certainly picked a nice time to have two seasons like it did you know right before all that came up and so it would certainly help Boise State you know they went seven and five last year had a new coach obviously um they've made some changes to the coaching staff they, they feel like they're in a really good place with the team this year and so a 10 or 11 win season certainly would, would you know wouldn't hurt Boise State with all this and I think a, a win over an Oregon State team on the road on ESPN their, their only game on ESPN this year I believe uh would, would certainly uh help I think from that standpoint no doubt Tell us about this team. What's what's the strength? What you know, Oregon State fans who are listening want to know what's going to happen in Week One. Boise State going to Corvallis uh, on September third. Uh, give us an idea of how this team looks to you. Yeah, I mean, last year offense was certainly the issue. They had an offensive coordinator that came over from UC Davis with a pretty complex offense. Uh, really struggled to kind of get it going early in the season. Their thousand-yard running back got hurt. They had three different centers because their center was out all season, and the offensive line was just kind of a hodgepodge of guys all year so they really struggled to run the ball uh you know really struggled offensively for a good portion of the season but they've got a four-year starter back a quarterback same offensive coordinator back you know hank bachmeyer this will be the first time in his four years at boise state that he's had the same offensive coordinator two years in a row they got a washington state transfer for the right tackle they got their center back so they feel like the line's going to be better and they got their thousand yard running back healthy uh, george Shalani going into the season so they feel like the offense should be much better than last year. And then defensively, you've got a safety in Dale Skinner and a defensive tackle in Scott Matlock, who both could be, you know, drafted in the first couple of rounds of the draft next year. So they've got a couple stars on defense. Um, Andy Avalos being a defensive guy, you know the defense is going to be pretty good. And uh, they feel really good about the defensive side of the ball. So I think if they uh, if the offense can score some more points, you know, their lowest scoring output since, like, 1998 last year. They only averaged about 29 points a game. If they can get back in that 35, 36 points, uh, you know, a game and, and uh, turn some of those field goals into touchdowns. I think they're very confident that uh, they, the team could be a lot better than 7-5 and five this year. All right, I'm going to ask you the question that everybody wants to know. Um, Big 12, Pac-12, both invite Boise State to come in. The money's even. What's the right play for Boise State? I, I think that Boise State feels like they actually fit better with some of the Big 12 teams. I know the travel would be much harder. Um, there'd be other implications there as well. Um, but I think that like if there's just a fit, whether it be academically 
the, the way they're profiled, some of the sizes of some of the schools and the campuses and the towns and stuff. I, I think they feel like the Big 12, you know, might actually be a better fit for some of their athletic, you know, some of their teams and their, and their athletes. Um, but again, going to West Virginia or UCF, you know, for a conference volleyball game on a Wednesday, I'm not sure how much sense that makes. And so um, that'd be a really tough call. I think that'd be one that they would, they would, if given the chance, they would just shut their eyes and pick one. They'd be so thankful just to get into one of them. But I, I think yeah. that uh, probably might lean Pac-12, but I, I wouldn't discount the Big 12. I still think the Big 12 is, is uh, you know, not a zero, you know, it's still somewhat of an option for them and something they would certainly are, are interested in looking at as well. Yeah, the problem with that might be that, and I agree with you to a certain extent, but I think towns like Pullman and Corvallis are great approximations for, for Boise. Like, you know, I get that, like, some of the other Pac-12 schools, and frankly, the, the success that Utah's had in making that leap in the Pac-12 might might encourage them as well. But I think the, the timeline isn't going to quite work out for my scenario there uh, to be a fork in the road. I think it's going to be the Pac-12 may offer first, with the Big 12 being down the road, uh, and I think at that point, you know, it, it could be an interesting discussion. I also think ESPN is going to play a role in this no matter what. BJ, I appreciate you. I want to get you back on as this develops. Uh, it, how big a story is this in your world that, you know, is the season a bigger story or is the potential conference uh, expansion question a bigger story? Uh, it's right now it's more on the season, but I mean, it was, you know, a month ago it, when, when camp was starting and all this was happening, you know, six weeks ago or whatever, it was certainly the realignment stuff. I mean, you're, people are checking their phones and searching Twitter every two minutes to see if something was going to happen. And like I said, there's a lot of nervous people here in Boise that think this is their last chance. And if they yeah. get left out now, they're not going to get in. And so I certainly think that, uh, they're hoping that a, a good season, you know, is parlayed into, uh, an offer from one of the conferences. And I know behind the scenes, like I said, Boise State put out these beautiful pictures of this $300 million thing that they don't know how they're going to pay for yet, but they want to get it out there and show people what they're trying to do and show, you know, conferences like the Pac-12 that they're behind the scenes trying to, you know, wheel and deal. And so um, when it's quiet, as you know, that probably means there's stuff going on behind the scenes and uh, we'll see, but the fans are certainly excited about the possibility. Certainly uh, it's a big story, um, but right now with, with not much going on in terms of rumors and things like that, I think this first game and, putting the you know, bad taste of last season behind them uh, is, is a big deal. I mean, if they can go on the road and beat Oregon State, they should be 4-0 and probably ranked uh, you know, going into some big conference games in October. So I think that they're just hoping they can get off to a good start and see if they can build some momentum and get a little national attention and kind of see where that leads them. B.J. Reigns, at B.J. Reigns on Twitter. B.J., thank you. We'll get you back on. appreciate you, man. Yeah, looking forward to being over there next week for the game. It's going to be fun. I appreciate it. Anytime. B.J. Reigns, Bronco Nation News. I like Oregon State in that game. I think Oregon State's going to be pretty good this year. Leave it here. We're going to talk about who you want to see in the Pac-12. So I'm asking you, who do you want in the Pac-12? Do you want Boise State in? Do you want San Diego State, SMU? Do you want to go uh, shopping in the Big 12? You tell me, 503-417-7575. This is the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano, live from Providence Park. Site of Timbers versus Sounders on 750 The Game. I need your help. I really do. Because I'm looking across the landscape of college football and I'm trying to figure out what adds value to the Pac-12. What is going to improve the brand of the Pac-12 if you can, if you're going to add teams. If you add Boise State to the Pac-12, I don't think there's a lot of going to be a lot of enthusiasm from all corners of the Pac-12 for Boise State. 
How about San Diego State? Do they add something? How about UNLV? How about SMU? How about if you went shopping in the Big 12 Conference, somebody like Houston interesting to you? Who else? 503-417-7575. And if you tell me you would just be happy to see uh, the Pac-12 stand pat at 10 teams, I'll buy that. But I want you to tell me that. I need your help on this. Let's go out to Mark in Portland. He's going to lead us off. Grab a line at 503-417-7575. Mark, who are we adding? Uh, I, I think Boise State. I mean, did, has Utah added value to the league? They used to be in the Mountain West Conference. Uh, yep. Boise State, their history, they beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, they've beaten Oregon all three times they played them. They shut down Chip Kelly's offense better than any team I saw in his era at Oregon. Uh, they didn't. Oregon didn't get a first down until halfway through the third quarter, and Garrett Blount tried to beat the whole city up, if you remember that game. But... <laughs> yeah, I was there. <laughs> I was there. I was on I deadline. Boise State instantly is in the upper echelon of the Pac-12, right with uh, right there close to Utah. They have that potential. I mean, they do what, what he said. They win every big game, John. I mean, that that game in 2007 to me is still the most exciting bowl game maybe that I've ever seen. Where oh, that's they phenomenal. Were pulling rabbits out of their, you know. So hook and, yeah, hook and lateral. They, uh, they ran the Statue of Liberty for the Statue two, of Liberty. You know? yeah. yeah, I mean, and they had that team had nowhere near the talent. The 2009 team in a traditional playoff could have won the national championship. They had great defense. Austin. Pettis and Titus Young were NFL receivers. Uh, Kellen Moore, who was a great college quarterback like Joey Harrington, they had the potential to shock the world, and that's what this system doesn't give us. They don't give us the Cinderella story like Boise State. Or let me ask you a question. Do. All right, let me ask you a question. I I covered Fresno State. I saw Fresno State rise to the occasion when it would play like UCLA or a Pac-12 team. Boise has that same thing. They kind of rise up. Could they do it on a week-to-week basis, uh, or has Utah proven you can do it? I I think uh, Utah has built a team with depth. I think Boise State can do the same, John. You, if you've been in Idaho, what the hell else is there to do in Idaho? They love the Boise State Broncos. <laughs> Potatoes. A, oh, they love them. So, I mean, it's it's got a lot of potential. I think it's a sleeping giant, personally. I think Oregon's never beat them. So we yeah. need to get them in the league just so we can change that. There you go. Mark in Portland, appreciate the call. And he's right. Um, look, I covered I covered Fresno State when they were in the WAC. And Fresno State would look forward to those bowl games where they got a chance to play teams. And I, I, I was covering a Fresno State team that went to Wisconsin and won, went to Colorado and won. Uh, you know, and then Boise State went into Fresno and beat Fresno State. Boise State, Fresno State, those were all great teams. But would you put them in the Pac-12? Do you want them there? Does it hurt the brand? If you're an Oregon fan, are you okay with that? If you're an Oregon State fan, are you okay with that? Let's go to David and Eugene. By the way, that opens a line. 503-417-7575. David, who are we adding? Not, not Boise State. Uh, you know, and I, I didn't even think about them, but... It does make sense geographically, uh, but, but I thought at, at some point the academic stature of the university came into play, and and that would preclude Boise State from getting in. Uh, yeah, they do admit had, 77% of applicants are admitted to Boise State. Yeah. Did, did I hear that guy, the, the, the last, not the last call, the call it report, did he say, did he say, Boise State was a national power. They, 
Yeah, I think he was talking about how ESPN positions them with the blue field and playing on a Thursday, playing on a Wednesday, playing on a Friday. They got great visibility. They have their own TV deal that got them about $2 million a year more. But their deal is their TV deal is kind of a joke. I mean, the conference TV deal gets $4 million per university. The Pac-12 is looking at $34 million university, and people are laughing at them because the Big Ten's getting $72 million. All right, you told me who you don't want. Give me a team you do want in the conference. Well, San Diego State, I, 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 I would take that, again, because it does tie us back into, you know, that SoCal market, uh, a lot of, lot of viewership, yep. you know, and that's a, that's a good recruiting hotbed. Now, is the conference going to continue to be a north and south? Or is it just going to no. be one conference? One conference. Don't, don't they got to add? Yeah. Huh? There's no north and south currently, and I don't think they would go back to it because they're also talking about going down to eight conference games. So they're just going to have team one against team two in the title game. Yeah, you know, UNLV, I didn't even think about them either, but, but that would be kind of interesting too as well. Uh, look, I, I've kinda, I'm from that area. And that guy represented the classic Boise State fan, you know. And I thought he was kind of snubbing us when, when he said, oh, yeah, we, we, we'd go to the Big 12 before Pac-12. Yeah, I think the Boise State would run full force into the Pac-12. It was offered, and I think they'd take less money to do it. You know, I think if the Pac-12 offered them $15 million a year and then took the extra $20 million and gave it to Oregon and Washington – uh, I think Boise State would just be thrilled to be part of the conference. I know I covered Fresno State. Massive inferiority conflicts in that, in that conference. Massive. And, and he's right at that. Boise State can play against the, the best of the Pac-12 and beat them. BYU can do it too. BYU 5-0 and against the Pac-12 last season. They'll be at Autzen Stadium in week three. But there's always been a question in my mind, can you do it week to week to week. I know that your kids can get up for a game here or there. I guess Boise proved it last year as they won five times against Pac-12 opponents. Let's go to Scapoose. Darren is in Scapoose, the pride uh, Derek Anderson hometown over there in Scapoose. What's it going is, on, man? Too bad they shut down the varsity, which was his um, restaurant here in oh. town during COVID. Yeah. Um, What's going on? Who do you want in the conference? No one's brought up Hawaii, hmm. and I know they're not a great program, but my God, the recruiting, the fan base, I mean, Vegas, and if you added UNLV and Hawaii, I would travel to both. I would, too. I, I, it was one of my favorite things to do when I was covering the whack. I got to go to Hawaii on somebody else's dime a couple <laughs> times a year. Stay down in Waikiki. Judah Newby, it wasn't bad. Not bad at all. <laughs> Not bad at all. And with the travel being the way it is with realignment, might as well add a cool destination. But can you kick off? You'd be kicking off games at like 9 o'clock. Whatever. At ESPN Pacific Plus. time. Uh, yeah. Oh, Pacific, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, there's that too. I mean, Because it's earlier there. Yeah, you're going, you're going further west. So those 7 o'clock kickoffs would be more like, uh, you know, 7 o'clock in Hawaii would be like a 9. Yeah, I guess you could do it like – there's an audience for Beavers it. Beavers played there two you know, years ago, week two. They lost the game. They should have won it. It was really tough, and it kicked off at 8 o'clock our time yeah. locally, and it was like 5 o'clock or whatever it is out there. Uh, I, I get it, um, but, you know, the travel, yeah. The, I want to add two teams that add value to the conference but are good and compete and don't suck. Someone brought up Utah. Yeah, they did. 
Who's the other school that came in at the same time as Utah? Colorado. Yeah, they They've added it. no value, really, yeah. and no one wants to go there to play. Boise State, they can join the Pac-12, get rid of the blue turf. You think it's, I, it's, it's hokey. gimmicky? It's yeah. gimmicky. It's hokey. It's not yeah. good branding, actually, for the Pac-12. The the program and quality of play is good, but the I don't want my Pac-12 schools going to play on that blue turf. It's the same thing with Pac-12 After Dark. We really hate it. Yeah. I know in TV, like it, it plays good leverage, but honestly, we kind of hate it. Everybody hates it. I like Houston. I think you had that TV viewership. There's a potential yeah. with that program. I know Holgerson's there now. Right. But there's always – I feel like they're kind of a sleeping giant. If yeah. they got to a Power 5 recruiting-wise, get enough of a sexy brand going, and they could unzip the Pac-12 and actually compete at a high level. And beating Houston would be quality wins for current Pac-12 schools, I think. Yeah. I'd add a Houston, and I'd add maybe Boise, maybe Hawaii. But the Cougars, I think, are cool. San Diego State feels like the no-brainer. Yeah, but, but they need a better stadium, too. Yeah. They like, just, they're just they opening their brand-new stadium this year. Then bring so them in. There they are. We'll take them. Uh, and you know what the blue turf has always reminded me of? You know, like the classic uh, characterization of a pirate. You know, he's got a peg leg. He's got an eye patch. He's got a parrot on his shoulder. <laughs> the parrot is there to distract you from the eye patch and the peg leg. If you're that pirate. Like, when he got up in the morning, he went, you know what? I got these two issues. How do I make people think about something else? So Boise State has the blue turf at its home stadium because they don't want you to know you're in the middle of nowhere with only 500,000 TV households. People are peeling potatoes, you know. They got nothing else going on. no attention to the team behind the blue field. There you go. I want more of your phone calls. Who are we putting in the Pac-12? 503-417-7575. got John Canzano and the bald-faced truth from Providence Park, site of Portland versus Seattle on 750 The Game. I want to know who you want to see in the Pac-12 conference. Later in the show, I'm going to ask you what your peeve is. We do it every Friday. It's a benchmark. That's what a benchmark is. We do it when it's supposed to be done. I am no, I'm saying that, as listeners may know, and of course the staff knows, and I am notorious for uh, just getting off script. I enjoy that. I enjoy the fluidity of this show. Uh, I want to go to the phone lines. I want to know who you want in the Pac-12, 503-417-7575. Uh, we're going to go to Kevin in Newburgh first. Ryan in Portland will be second. Kevin, go ahead. Thanks for letting me on. You bet. Who do you want in the Pac-12? I like Boise State and San Diego State. I think the, both of them would be uh, good powerhouses to bring in. Um, there's definitely some uh, changes hopefully they would make in their universities by coming into the, Pac, the Pac-12, but I think those two would be the uh, top two choices. And, and then after that, uh, I think a lot of the uh, listeners have mentioned some other good ones, you know, Houston and SMU and UNLV and Hawaii would be other some other good ones, but – uh, Boise State, you know, coming from one double A, moving into Division One, you know, they they kept on uh, trying to win and move up, and same with San Diego State. So I think they'd be good uh, good choices. It's interesting. There's a lot of consultants out there. I appreciate the call, Kevin. There's a lot of consultants out there that are, have talked about what the strategy of the conference should be. Any conference when they expand, you're looking to add value. So I keep coming back to who adds value when you're the Pac-12. San Diego State adds value, gets you back into Southern California, 1.1 million television households. That makes sense to me. Uh, I I struggle with value propositions after that. 
I had one Pac-12 AD, one of the Four Corners universities, that's all I'm going to say, tell me that he wasn't a fan of adding a Mountain West team. He said we need to look to the Big 12. He wanted to poach. And I think there's some logic in that, too. And Big 12 members would tell you or uh, fans would tell you, oh, no, no, you can't poach a Big 12 team. There is a way that you could successfully poach the Big 12. The Big 12 has a provision in its bylaws that says if you leave, you have to pay the, it, the equivalent of two years of your media rights payouts. It's about $75 million. That's a penalty. But if the conference dissolves, you pay nothing. So Texas and Oklahoma are already gone. What you need to vote for to dissolve the Big 12 would be eight votes. You, so you only need six more. If you're the Pac-12, you could possibly entice six teams from the Big 12 to come to the Pac-12, and suddenly they come without having to pay uh, a penalty in leaving. So I think it's interesting that that is something that is out there. The Big 12 fans don't want to hear it, but it's out there. Do I think that's going to happen? No, because I think ESPN is probably going to want to support the ecosystem. In ESPN, as Judah mentioned earlier in the show, they are a massive player. They are the player in college sports on television. They're the biggest. Even with Fox's deal and NBC and CBS, ESPN still has more than 50% of the overall television inventory. So if you're ESPN, I think you want to support the health of the ecosystem because it's an ecosystem that you are thriving in. So I do think ESPN is going to say, look, uh, we don't want to kill the Big 12. We don't want to kill the Pac-12, but we want to grow them. But I, and I think the way to do that if you are the uh, Pac-12 is you got to add more than two. you got to go to four or six more teams to enhance your health. But who are they? Ryan's in Portland. Ryan, welcome to the program. Who are you adding, Ryan? Um, I'm kind of with you. I would add more than just two teams. I would add Fresno State. I would add San Diego State. I would add uh, BYU and Texas Tech. Hmm. I like that. So you're going after a couple of Big 12 members, one uh, currently in the Big 12 and one soon to be added. I'm not sure what the penalty would be for BYU. And I don't see – the reason I don't love BYU added to the Pac-12 is because you already have Utah. You have Salt Lake City captured already. It's redundant. But people would offer UCLA and USC were redundant. So – I don't know. I'd have to have Bob Thompson, the former Fox Sports Network's president, tell me, you know, is the redundancy a bad thing in the media world? I don't know. Judah, we've heard some good stuff from callers. Where are we at? If you and I are in charge of the Pac-12, what are we doing? So I said Houston earlier, and I should note they're allegedly joining the Big 12 starting next year. So yeah. you could be trying to poach a future yeah. Big 12. I still like Houston more than Texas Tech. I want to get a Texas team. Yeah. I think that's best for – Is SMU palatable? Um, I like Houston better, but SMU's palatable. It, They're it available. Be, what would they be? The Dallas TV they market? They give you Dallas TV, but they have a tiny little footprint in a TV market that really does matter. It really depends on who the coach at those places are, like a Lane Kiffin type at one of those smaller schools in Texas, though, that can bring a little genius, a little flair, and a little PR and compete on the field. If SMU can do that, obviously they've got history there, however colorful, and then, yeah, great, we'll bring them in. But recruiting-wise, now you're op reopening up a Texas footprint as a Pac-12 footprint, which would be great, and then market value-wise within the, the TV market share, it makes a lot of sense as well. Does Fresno State Cal, is that redundant then to your no, previous argument? I, I think here's the 
Fresno Fres- State, Cal Stanford. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, because anybody who has grown up in California or been there knows that the Central Valley is not the Bay Area, and it's not L.A., and that is Fresno State's biggest problem. If they were closer to L.A., I think they'd be super attractive. They'd be just like as San Diego State. But they are smack in the middle of nowhere, no man's land, agricultural valley, right between L.A., equidistant from L.A. and the Bay Area. So you do have a growing area, and you got about a million people there that mm-hmm. have televisions, which is interesting. But there's a stigma to the, you know, the armpit of California. <laughs> there's a stigma to it's not L.A., it's not the Bay Area. I live there. I work there. I love the people there. The fans are passionate there. The programs, I mean, Jeff Tedford's dangerous yeah. there. Yeah, we they're, know, Jeff. Yeah, they're good. But I think that the Pac-12 fans are going to look down their nose at Fresno State probably even more yeah. than they look down at Boise State. Also a question for you. Given what Kevin Warren just did from a timeline standpoint with the Big Ten's deal, or yeah, and we see ACC locked up through 2034 with their stuff. Kevin Warren's got the Big Ten back to the table at 2027, 2028. Yeah. Seven years, yep. Does George have to do the same thing timeline-wise? I think George's, George Klyovkov's immediate task is pull the conference together, get the absolute most media dollars you can get, and then as soon as he's done with that and he knows Oregon and Washington are here for now, he has to pivot towards, okay, how do we you – know, look, the Big Ten's in view of the front windshield right now, so is the SEC – How do we get closer? Like, this is a journey. How do you get closer? Because I think there's two tasks here, and everybody's kind of – I think the flaw that fans and listeners and readers make when they evaluate conference realignment and expansion is you think about it as a forever proposition. You're a have or you're a have not. You're a have or you're a have not. I don't think it's that way for any of the Pac-12 teams right now because USC and UCLA made that step because they were in the L.A. market. That's the only reason the Big Ten wanted them. It wasn't the – Recent history of the programs, it's not Chip Kelly or Lincoln Riley, it's L.A. They were getting the L.A. TV market in the same way when they added Rutgers, they got New York. Rutgers sucks. Rutgers no good. I mean, the history of the program, it's terrible. Okay, so you land the TV market, but is there a version of this Big Ten deal that makes it a loss and not a win? Or is it an automatic win based on the revenue? What I mean by that is, what if UCLA and USC suck in the Big Ten? Do we look back on this no, five or six years from now and say that's a bad idea? Or is it just because the dollars are up, it's therefore a good idea? We, because to me, you don't want USC and UCLA to come into your conference yeah. and suck. Yeah, but you see, I, and, I, and I heard this in what you were saying even earlier. I know you're a fan. I can tell you're a fan. Yes, sir. Because you're focused <laughs> on who's coaching the team, yeah. and you're focused on how good they are on the field. The media people don't care about that. Right. Everybody, And I heard it from Oregon fans, and bless you, Oregon fans. Oregon fans are going, but but we have a bigger brand, but we have more success, but we get better TV ratings than some of these other schools. And, and that's all true, and that's great, and if all things are equal, it does put Oregon over the top. But the problem that Oregon had was geography. Oregon is sitting with its, its immediate TV market plus adjacent markets, including Portland, 1.8 million households. You do the same calculation for US, UCLA and USC, it's 7 point. Five million households. It's yeah. not even close. I understand that. So, but do you think that's Kevin, what matters? It is what matters in terms to of them. these decisions. To them. Yeah. Do you think Kevin Warren doesn't care how good USC and no. UCLA are? I don't football? think they care. And in some ways, okay. I, well, in then. some ways, I think those big 
10. That's why they took Rutgers. I mean, they took on Rutgers in Maryland because they wanted Washington, D.C. and New York. You know, it wasn't about, oh, these programs are going to be great. Mm-hmm. It's how they sell TV commercials to sponsors. They don't go to the sponsor and necessarily sell ratings. They go to the sponsor and go, hey, our conference can give you X number of TV households. And it's just a numbers game. And so it's it's really silly. And it's I think it's why the streaming partners have not emerged as a more powerful force. Because they can measure on a stream how many people are watching at a given moment. But that's not how they sell linear television to advertisers and sponsors. So it's like they're speaking two different languages while they're trying to have that conversation. So I do think if like if you're the Pac-12 and you start thinking along the lines of a TV executive – you're probably going to add SMU because you're getting into Texas and Dallas, Fort Worth. Who cares about the footprint? Who cares how good they are? You're getting into Texas. Then you're going to turn and you're going to get San Diego State. Okay, we're back in Southern California. we got 1.1 million households. Now where do we go? Hey, there's some money buried in Vegas. That's market number 40 nationally. But you could easily see Las Vegas and the growth that they have had, that that market could be a top 25 market nationally in about a decade. So we're going to grab UNLV. Who cares? Everybody goes, UNLV hasn't won anything in football. That's what I – I'll tweet out UNLV as a candidate, and I guarantee you the replies will be, but they haven't won anything. Who cares? Nobody cares about who's winning. Nobody cared about Rutgers. Nobody cares about – they want the TV market. They want UNLV. They want Vegas. They want gambling. They want the sponsors that are in Vegas. It's a money thing. It isn't a football thing. But fans think differently, and I, there's a fan in me too. It took me a long time to, like – separate from that in in talking about expansion. So I'm going to take SMU, San Diego State, UNLV. I actually kind of like the caller who said Hawaii. There's there's crap TV households in Hawaii. But if you're ESPN, you might like the ability to put on a late, late night game on a Thursday, Friday, <laughs> Saturday that outdoes anybody. Like they're going to have they're going to have a product there. So it's kind of interesting to me. I think Fresno State is in a little trouble because I think you'd take Boise State before you take Fresno State. I don't know if you could take them both. Kind of looks silly. But if I'm the Mountain West Conference, I have to be terrified right now because that conference, you know, Oregon State fans are going, hey, worst case scenario, this thing blows up and we end up in the Mountain West. What is the Mountain West thinking? Worst case scenario is what? You're the big sky? What's their commissioner's name again? Yeah, I think it was Craig Thompson. I think is he still at the yeah. Mountain West? Yeah. I think so, but he yeah. always thinks really highly of himself in yeah. his conference. Oh, he would die. If that I'm gonna get Craig Thompson on the show. He and I have had some moments. Yeah, you talk. You guys talked about this. Isn't UNLV the easy answer? Because Vegas is growing, like you said, but it's an untapped market of you can touch on gambling and you can bring it in yeah. where these other conferences haven't hit on that, and that's another money stream that you can get into. It seems like for yeah. me. They like UNLV is one of the obvious names. Like you say, San Diego State is a like a given. Should it's be no brainer. Yeah. I think UNLV is a no brainer as well. I think you might be right. And George Klyovkov's connections in Vegas are interesting. And if I'm ESPN, I keep like shifting. You know, I'm in Klyovkov's shoes one moment, and then I'm in ESPN's shoes the next. If I'm ESPN, I just lost out on the Big Ten to Fox, CBS, NBC. Okay, cool. I still have all this inventory, but the punch back is take up, take some Mountain West teams and put them in the Pac-12, buy all of the Pac-12's TV rights, media rights, and leave Fox and CBS and NBC with nothing in the Pacific time zone in prime time. They have nothing. 
What are they going to put on? That being said, the Big Ten, their deal, obviously, it's primarily with Fox, but it leaks through to NBC, right? And it leaks to, to CBS. Does the Pac-12 go solely ESPN, or can they have some dual partnership they could, going on? Still? They could go dual, but I think there might be more. Because here's the other thing. The Pac-12 needs to sell the Pac-12 network. needs to monetize it now, like today, oh, yesterday. Boy. So if you are the Pac-12 network, you just give ESPN Plus all of your content, and you That's go, hey, right. yeah. hey, take it all over. I think the answer for the Pac-12 is singular. I think you need other bidders in the room to get ESPN to give you full value, though. So I, I would I would be shocked if they're not talking to Amazon, Apple, even Fox. As the athletic director told me earlier, Fox is part of this. Is not they're not done. Now their role might be to keep ESPN honest, because Fox wants ESPN to spend. Fox size budget. Yeah, but Fox <laughs> would want because everybody is after this is all over when the dust settles. Then the conversation is going to be college football playoff media rights package. As they expand to 12 or 16, where are those games going to air? Yeah. So if I'm Fox, I need e- I just spent $1.25 billion or whatever. I need ESPN to spend some money right now. Otherwise, ESPN is going to have their full war chest available for the playoff, and nobody else is going to have games. Right. So ESPN's strategy may be let's grab the Pacific time zone primetime games, Let's grab the entire Pac-12 conference, and let's have enough money left over to, so that we get all the playoff games. Nobody else gets them. They can have the regular season. Playoffs going to be bigger than the regular season. How close are we to getting this done? What's your sense I, now I'm, that the Big Ten deals is, is through? I'm told not to expect anything until Labor Day. Sources in the Pac-12 are telling me after Labor Day, it's going to get serious. That's a week away. Yeah. Or a week and yeah. a half away. So I think it's gonna, we're, we're in a dust-settling mode right now. They're at the table. They're negotiating. I'm told that ESPN, this is what one AD told me. He said, they like us, we like them. That's where they're at right now. Okay? Magical stage. That's matchmaking 101. (laughs) I want you to leave it here. You got the BFT. The BFT with John Canzano, live from Providence Park on 750 The Game. Five at five is coming up top of the hour. Giovanni Sabarisi will be joining us. Timbers coach, he'll be with us. Uh, I'm broadcasting today at Providence Park. Uh, Fans, Timbers fans, Sounders fans lining up right now. I can see them right outside of Gate F at uh, Providence Park. Really good people watching down here, Judah, on the the streets of downtown Portland right around (laughs) Providence Park. Yeah. It's kind of wild. See some police activity. I have seen some fan activity. Get the bingo card out. It's kind of like I—I I mean this in the best way. I love being at an airport because a lot of people go to the airport. You get a lot of diversity of interest and experience and <laughs> wardrobe at the airport. Yeah. You get somebody who looks like they just got out of bed and they're in their PJs. They got flip-flops on and flannels, the hair's in a bun. <laughs> then you got a guy in a suit, and he's gonna he's flying somewhere on business, and then you got a family and kids and it's I like being at the airport. It's it's kinda wild. It, it's interesting to me. I feel like I'm at the airport right now. Yeah. I'm looking around outside. There's a guy walking by and uh it looks like he's uh, gonna walk into a into a pole. He's looking at his mobile device. There's fans. Lining up, as I said earlier, outside this uh, 
outside this stadium. They're here for what should be a big rivalry match. Uh, but the elephant in the room for this t Timbers organization is, you know, Merritt Paulson, the owner of this franchise, he's got to talk at some point. MLS won't let him talk. He swung by the broadcast. He said, I want to talk. I have a lot to say. And, you know, when he does talk, he said he'll come on the show and he will answer every question. I think that's interesting, and I am interested in talking to him. And I'm watching this franchise. This franchise is under the microscope right now. They're being nitpicked. Um, probably They probably deserve some of it. Uh, I also think that, you know, as a journalist who was working in this town and around this franchise, I think we dropped the ball a little bit. I think we should have held them more accountable. We should have been tuned in what was going on to this franchise. And, you know, uh, I will accept some of that responsibility. But I think uh, I would love to talk to Merritt Paulson when he's ready to talk. All right, the 5 at 5 is coming up. And what your peeve will be in hour number three. B-F-F-T. Now. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights. Live from Providence Park, site of Portland versus Seattle. Here's John Canzano with the ball-faced truth. Well, this is the happy hour. We're going to talk some Pac-12. I'm going to make some predictions for the upcoming season. We'll interview a soccer coach, Giovanni Savarisi. I just like saying his name. Gio's going to join us talk about this Timber Sounders game. I also want to ask him what it's like to coach a team while the franchise is under fire in a public way. You know me. The elephant's in the room. I'm going to talk about the elephant. Giovanni Savarisi will be with us. Also, by the way, is he worried about his job? If they don't make the playoffs, do you think he's in trouble? Would they fire him? Does he expect to be back if he doesn't make the playoffs? And here's another question I have. In European soccer, with promotion, relegation, I watch Ted Lasso. Um, in European soccer, there's a pressure. There's a pressure to win. There's a pre pressure to perform. The prevailing thought is in MLS that pressure doesn't exist. There's nowhere to go. You don't get knock down a league if you don't make the playoffs. You just come back next year. Yeah, in fact, you get a draft pick. So, is it a little easier ride? Is it a softer job for an MLS coach? We'll talk about it coming up. Before we get there, though, I need to do the five at five. These are the five biggest, most important things that are going on in sports, and you have to know about them. The five at five. Let's start with the embarrassment that the Buffalo Bills have become. Their punter, Matareza, is sitting out the preseason finale in the wake of a gang rape lawsuit. I hate seeing this story. I hate that this is a story. I hate that this allegedly happened. But the Bills rookie punter, who was accused in a lawsuit yesterday of gang raping a 17-year-old girl when he was at San Diego State last year, he did not dress for tonight's preseason game against the Panthers, justifiably so. He was not even on the sidelines to start the game, even though he did travel with the team to Charlotte, North Carolina. He's the only punter on the roster. So what are they going to do? Not punt? I don't know. What they should have done is probably not draft him if they knew about this, and I suspect they did. 
NFL teams, when they draft players, they know everything about these players. They interview them, they investigate them, they put them under the microscope. And for the Buffalo Bills to say that they didn't know about this, I think is ridiculous and absurd, and it's unbelievable. Areza was the Ray Guy Award winner in college football. He was the best punter in college football. He had the highest average punt. He had the highest net punt. And yet he was the third punter taken. The Buccaneers and Ravens drafted punters in front of him. They knew. I'm telling you they knew. We all know they knew. The Bills should be ashamed of themselves. I think this is embarrassing. Uh, I think it's insidious that they put him in uniform, suited him up, cut another punter, and only now are doing the right thing. You are who you are when nobody's watching, people. We can all be good on the freeway when we see that trooper pulled over on the side. We see him at a distance, and we go, oh, trooper, and we slow down a little bit as we pass. But you knew you were speeding before that. You were breaking the law. Let's, you know, I, I did it today. I was driving from Corvallis to downtown Portland on I-5. I was speeding. I'm going to admit it. I was speeding. Then I saw the trooper and I slowed down. The Buffalo Bills were going 170 on the NFL freeway. Then they saw the trooper and they slowed down to 55 and did the right thing. That's number one. Number two in our five at five. Aaron Donald and the Rams had a big Donnybrook yesterday in their joint practice with the Cincinnati Bengals. Aaron Donald was seen with two helmets, two Bengals helmets, swinging them like he was in Game of Thrones in a brawl on HBO. The NFL's policy when it comes to joint practices and discipline is that they don't discipline what happens at practice. They leave that to the individual teams. The Rams said any discipline for Aaron Donald and anybody else will be handled internally. It'll remain in-house. Donald was scheduled to speak during practice today, but he was not made available. Sean McVay said he didn't want to make a big deal about the fight saying that his understanding was that no one was injured. Quote, it's like anything else. You just move forward, and this will be a little blip on the radar an hour from now for our guys. End quote. I kind of support the idea that Aaron Donald should not be disciplined. I don't know what happened. I don't know if somebody punched him in the family jewels right before he started swinging those helmets. I don't know. But I think if we start asking the NFL to police what happens in practice, it means you have to put NFL officials at practices like they're the yard duty. I'm just glad nobody got hurt. Lesson learned. And oh, by the way, what the hell did they expect? You took the two teams that played in the Super Bowl, and you stuck them together in a practice, and you lit a match. This is what happens, people. That's number two. Number three in our five at five, Florida A&M is opening the season at North Carolina. This is going to be a big game. Saturday night, college football. It's a, it's back. But Florida A&M will be without 20 players. They're down to seven available offensive linemen. The team decided, uh, initially decided not to play. 
and then had further discussion and said, ah, oh, we are going to play. Further discussion is code for how much money is this going to cost us if we don't play? The players uh, were ineligible to play in the game. That's why they're not playing. I'm trying to figure out why they had an eligibility thing, but they're saying it's a certification process. And Florida A&M, by the way, was scheduled to get a $450,000 check for playing this game. So, 450,000 reasons to play the game. It will be played despite the eligibility issues. The Rattlers will be without 20 players, but they'll get the check. CTC, as Sheed once said. Number four in our five at five. There's a Cuban pitcher, Luis Morales. He's pretty good. He's been declared a free agent by Major League Baseball. He's uh, part of the international bonus pool. This is an interesting thing. He will get to uh, negotiate a contract. He's a pitcher. He throws in the high 90s. He's worked out for a bunch of teams. He defected from the Cuban team when they were in Mexico City in September of 2021. He's got a good breaking ball. He's got a changeup. He's got a good fastball. They're talking about a bonus here that could be a record bonus for a pitcher. Shohei Otani got $2.3 million from the Angels as a bonus. This could be a bonus that is pushing towards four to five to six million dollars. That's what baseball sources are saying. Cuban teen Luis Morales about to get a payday. Is that three or four? That's four. Sorry. Thanks, Judah. <laughs> Finally, number five, Barry Sanders was a hell of an NFL running back. I loved watching Barry Sanders run the football. His son, Nicholas, is a basketball player. He will walk on at Michigan State. Now, I know what you're thinking. Barry Sanders, what is he, like 5'9"? He's got a son that plays basketball? It's true. Nicholas Sanders is listed at 5'9", 170. By the way, Barry Sanders' oldest son, Barry J. Sanders, played at Stanford and Oklahoma State. Tom Izzo taking on... The other Sanders child, Nicholas Sanders, as a walk-on. That is the five at five. Five biggest things going on. I want to pepper through these things. Uh, first, let's start with the uh, Florida A&M team, Judah Newby. 20 players ineligible. Should they be playing this game? 450,000. Yep. Got That's what find, you're getting. Find a way to make it happen, right? The, yep. the FAU president is probably saying, I'll suit up. I've got another yeah. year of eligibility. Who I'll play left tackle. I'll be your eighth offensive lineman if you need me so we can cash this 450 grand for my school. That's the reality of it, unfortunately. And uh, it's going to be a win for North Carolina, but FAU's got to do what they got to do. We're, uh, we talked earlier in the show about the Bills and uh, the punt god who is now uh, being accused in a lawsuit of uh, facilitating a uh, sex abuse crime against a 17-year-old kid. I've read the story. I'm I'm really disappointed in in the punter, Matareza. I'm disappointed in the Bills. Um, let's just say the Bills do suspend him. Should there be an NFL penalty for the Bills? If you're Roger Ooh. Goodell, I don't think you. It's. I keep coming back to Cleveland. Obviously, the Deshaun stuff is different. Yeah. But how how do the Browns get away as a franchise doing you know the biggest guaranteed contract in the history of the sport to Deshaun Watson? I don't know what kind of precedence 
you want to set if you're Roger Goodell or that you can set disciplining a team for that unless you can prove knowledge, they which knew. you can't. They knew. Yeah, but if you but can prove they knew. If you can prove that they knew, then yeah. maybe there's a discussion there. But outside yeah. of that, I think it's tough. I wonder uh, if to they're – I, I kind of feel like I'm just spitballing here. Yeah. Like if you want to deter teams from doing this kind of crap, you got to punish them with more than just the player, you know, being deemed ineligible or right. – you know, inactive for games and not able to play because you're embarrassed by them, start taking away draft picks. But isn't Take- it isn't it just like what you just said in the five and five, Sean McVay? It's like anything else. You just move forward and this be a little blip on the radar. That's kind of how the NFL works, isn't yeah. it? That's how they work. But I, but if I'm Roger Goodell, I'm I'm looking back going, okay, this is bad. I don't want any more of this stuff. I need the teams to do better. Deshaun Watson gets a big contract. This is embarrassing. This is a mess on my plate. Mm. This Areza thing, it's embarrassing for the league. It's bad for the league. Why shouldn't the league be able to say, you hurt our brand. You, you did, uh, you're, you're the Buffalo Bills. You took this guy. You knew he was going to be a problem. Uh, you know what? I'm taking away a draft pick. You, you lose your sixth-round pick next year. I guess you could do that, but you, the finger pointing would be for all the other 31 franchises yeah. that have done something. Oh, yeah. Maybe not what about them? to the degree, but about those guys? similar. Somebody gets dumb. a DUI. What yeah. do you do? Yeah. yeah. Uh, son of Barry Sanders playing basketball as a walk-on. Is that a story? Uh, what is he, 5'9", you say? 5'9", 170. It's a good name, you know, Michigan State. I'd like to see him hoop, see what he got. Yeah. Dude, I'd like to see him in March if Tom, Tom just signed an extension there. If they can get back to March and see this kid play on national TV, get Barry Sanders in the crowd, yeah. I think that's a win for everybody involved. If, if I'm Mel Tucker, I want him on the football field. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little scat back. Like, All right, what do you got? Yeah. Can we put you in the slot? Come what can on. we do here? What All did, right. from Barry did you get? We are at Providence Park, Timbers Sounders tonight. These Sounders fans are going to bring their middle fingers to this game. The Timbers fans are going to show up too. Uh, Giovanni Sabarisi, the Timbers coach, will be joining us next. Leave it here. This is the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano, live from Providence Park, site of Timbers versus Sounders on 750 The Game. I'm here. I'm at Providence Park. Fans are located outside the stadium. They are lined up right now for the Timbers and the Sounders match that is taking place tonight. I've come a long way as a broadcaster because I called it a match instead of a game. Here with me, Timbers coach Giovanni Savarisi. Uh, how are you doing? Good. Uh, very happy that you're here Thank uh, you. in the stadium because I heard last time that yeah. you were in the stadium. Uh, the Timbers won, so hopefully we keep it, you know, constant. Yeah, I am. Uh, I am a good luck charm. You said earlier you're going to send a limo for me next time. <laughs> I like that. Let's do it. Uh, let me ask you. Hey, I I notice this is my level of soccer expertise isn't there, but so I want to talk about stuff like this. You dress up for games. You dress nice. You wear a suit. You look, you know, look like GQ. There, not everybody in this league dresses nice. You get some coaches out there that have tennis shoes and sweats on and shorts or whatever. Why do you dress so nice during games? First of all, uh, you know, my parents, uh, my grandparents, I mean, my, my grandfather used to wear a suit every single day. <laughs> so he wouldn't go out of the, the house without a tie, a suit uh, to go to work. Uh, and uh, he was, uh, it was his own business. So uh, it was important, uh, his presence every time that he went out. Uh, for me... Uh, I grew up, you know, my mother's a fashion designer, hmm. and I grew up in, you know, uh, in the fashion world, and 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 it's not that I think too much about what to wear. I just yeah. put whatever, you know, yeah. I have to put, and I feel comfortable. Sometimes I be a little bit more uh, with a suit. Sometimes it's just with pants and, and a regular shirt. It's how I feel that day uh, that's going to give me more focus to the match. What what was that like having a mom who was a fashion designer? Awesome. 
yeah. uh, because you know they, sometimes you, you have some ideas and you said uh, mom can you make this uh, you know this uh, jacket yeah and uh, to invent a little bit and she would come up you know put it together and then uh, you had that unique jacket that uh, that make you feel special so it was great I love that uh, you you need a tie or a win to win the Cascadia Cup how are you feeling about this yeah, I noticed yeah. earlier he said that, and you knocked on the table. Like, you're, are you superstitious? A little bit. A little bit? But how are you feeling about the match? It's going to be a tough match, huge match. I mean, it's Seattle. Seattle yeah. is always uh, a huge game. It, it never disappoints. It's always tough. It's uh, a difficult one. Uh, in, in, in the way it comes this match today, there's a lot of, you know, in stake in this game yeah. that we're playing for, uh, especially both teams uh, get trying to get the three points or six points because – We'll take three away from them, three for us. Uh, so that's how important this game is uh, for us to make playoff. Giovanni Savarisi with us, Timbers coach. Uh, you guys are in the hunt. You're trying to make the playoffs. How important is that to you? How, are you feeling pressure right now? It, the pressure, uh, we put it to ourselves. Um, it's not that it comes from the outside. Um, what it comes from the outside is... Uh, the understanding we don't want to disappoint our fans because they're great and we want to give them everything that uh, that we have uh, they're so passionate and, and the only thing that we can uh, do is just uh, as soon as we step on the field give everything that we have as a coach as players so that's the part that is you know it's more of a commitment more than pressure the pressure we put ourselves because you know it has been a, a an inconsistent uh, season it's a season in which uh, we have had some good moments moments that need to be better and uh, today is just a, a huge game, so uh, we put the pressure in the right way to understand what is in, you know the, what we're playing for, and the guys are ready to be able to perform. We always want to separate the soccer from the business of the franchise. You've been coaching this team while there's all these questions around the franchise and the culture, and uh, how has that been for you? We uh, we've been in the facility working. Um, it's been good. It's been always good. Uh, there's a lot of good people in in, in the in the uh, organization, uh, in the front office, uh, in uh, you know in the soccer uh, department, and uh, and it's a, in a it's a it's a type of environment for us uh, that uh, is very family oriented and. Uh, you know, we all uh, work for each other and uh, and fight for each other because, uh, as I said, we want this organization to be an important organization and an organization that uh, bases everything on, on principles and, and ethics, and uh, and that's what we try to do on the field uh, as a team. You you know, you have pulled this team, this franchise together in other years. You've made runs late in the season. Can, do you get an inkling? Do you get a feeling when you see that coming together as you did? And when you played for the MLS Cup a few years ago, like, do you do you see any signs that tell you this team can pull together and make the playoffs? And then who knows what happens? Or is it is that something you can see as a coach? Do you see it coming? Yeah, I see it coming definitely. Um, a lot of the times, is that the way it happens? Is you know, uh, it's never been consistent completely. I think 2018 was more consistent. Uh, but uh, sometimes it comes a moment that uh, we come to the realization that this is the moment to push forward to to bring the team to a higher level and, and it's not something that unfortunately uh, we don't want to do from the beginning it's something that just happens uh, with the players and and then at those moments you feel that we can go all the way as a player you played for a lot of different coaches I was talking about this earlier with a friend of mine that even today you know, I was coached by coaches that were hard on me. They yelled a lot. I don't know that kids respond to that now. As a pro coach, do you find yourself 
treating players differently than maybe you were treated as a player when you came into soccer as a kid or is it yeah, different? Has it changed? I got, I, I got yelled at too. Yeah. You know, so that's yeah. normal. But and you know we took it and it was good and made us stronger. And uh, it, I, I think is the important part is to 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 make sure that uh, you're always connecting with the players, that you have a good relationship, that you have a, a transparent relationship. Uh, and uh, and then yes, there's uh, there's an understanding that uh, each generation uh, comes you know with the understanding of something a little bit different. And uh, and we all together, we just have to make sure that we create the best environment that we can every single time inside the locker room. Came to the United States to play college ball, and you're in Long Island. What was that like? It had to be shocking to you a little bit. Like, the culture changed. Different. Yeah, yeah. so I decided to go to Long Island University yeah. uh, because I fell in love in, uh, in, uh, with the city of New York. I had the chance to go to I thought to you were going to say it was a woman. You came here, you <laughs> fell in love, you moved to the United States. I did States. after, in the college, yeah. My, my wife, uh, I, I fell in love with my wife, you know, in college as well. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's, uh, that's true as well. And I had a chance to go to Boston University. Yeah. But I you know, just wanted to be in New York. And, and uh, I enjoyed, uh, you know, my four years in college uh, playing for Long Island University and then continuing my career in the United States. Yeah. What's it like to score a goal on a big stage or even as a coach? When you hear the roar of the crowd, you see the ball go in, there's a little delay, and then bam. What's that like? It's, you know, when you feel it, when you have the passion, when, you know, you care, uh, it's just a, a great sensation. It's something, you know, unique. And the fact that I was a striker in, in the moments that I was able to score, it, it was an unbelievable moment, especially when that goal meant that you went up, you know, that you could win. And uh, so for me, you know, I, I'm very passionate, and you see it on the, vent, on the bench as well. Anybody who's played a sport knows that there's a moment where you're about to make the play, that you know you can make the play, you see the opportunity. I have to think as a striker that is there, and what you have to do is manage your emotion to not, like, you know, just to make the play and not to overdo it a little bit. Am I getting that right? Of course. I mean, I think that's uh, professional uh, sports. You, you have to make sure that you – perform uh, the perfect way at, as much as you can sometime in a split of a second uh, with the pressure on you in, in a, a specific moment that uh, is required you know great technique and uh, the more that you do it the more that you're there the more games that you play uh, the sharper that you become are you watching Ted Lasso did you watch Ted Lasso I watch it I watch Jimmy it and I, did you like it I love it did you I loved it. did yes. you get any coaching tips from Ted Lasso knowing no the tactics <laughs> no <laughs> but, but but uh, in the other area, which is very, very important yeah. in sports, I mean, uh, there's so much to, to look into it, and, and yeah. it just, it's, it's a great show. I love that. I think we could all learn from, like, kind of the, the belief that you create and the culture in a locker room. And, you know, I you probably see things that happen in a show like that that are ridiculous that would never happen in soccer or whatnot. But you see some other things that you probably can relate to, Definitely, right? definitely, yeah. definitely. I think you can relate to too many things. I think culture, environment, a togetherness in, 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 a, in a team sport is, is huge, is very important. And you see some, some things in there that, uh, you know, make first the show be an interesting show. Yeah. Uh, a, an You're like, that job. would never happen, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah but, but there's some other things that do are, are important, you know, words, ethics, uh, things that uh, make a team stronger. And, and I think those, those things are, are important that everybody sees it. Giovanni Savarisi with us, Timbers coach. Timbers Sounders tonight, Providence Park. Fans lined up outside. Uh, the stadium right now, uh, waiting to get in. They'll open the gates here shortly. Gio, um, you know, when you, you talk to fans of European soccer, they'll say there's so much pressure. The team finishes last. They drop a division. The team comes up. You don't have that in, in MLS. Does 
does it lose something for you there that you don't have that pressure or or what is yeah, that? Yeah, like? a component yeah. definitely in Europe, uh, South America, and other places that uh, gives you more pressure because uh, coming to the end of the season and playing a game that maybe you know your team is going to go down in division is a uh, huge pressure. Uh, we don't have it here. We do have all the pressures, uh, and we have the pressure that we put ourselves to make sure that we're elite in, in what we do. So definitely uh, today is a huge day for us because we have always made playoff in all these years that, thank God, I've been here. Yeah. So we want to continue to be that, and we hopefully, after we make the playoff, uh, we can go again, uh, fight through it to, to make it all the way. But today is very, very important. If you miss the playoffs, are you worried about your job security? I, I think that's secondary. I feel about more that uh, I want to give everything that I have for the fans, for the organization. I don't waste my time thinking about the other part because uh, I just do more things to make sure that I'm as best, uh, as good as I can be in my job and, and I can manage a group of uh, good peoples that we have in the locker room to their best of their possibilities. Yeah, you can't control, right? You can't control what comes next. Are you a, you know, there are some coaches that, You've done the training. Team knows what to do. You're relaxed, right? There's not much left to say. Got to go perform. Are you that guy, or are you more like, I need to get into the locker room. I need to tell them everything. There's one more thing to say. One more. There's a one more talk. One more instruction. One more thing. Which kind of coach are you? So never relax. Calm, <laughs> yeah. but never relax. No. <laughs> so calm, but not relaxed. Yes. So because for me, they're two different things. Yeah. Um, and definitely, I, I always can say something more. Uh, we have to be very good in practice, but also we have to make sure that we cover the bases, that we remind the players the things that they need to do on the field. And sometimes there's come, you know, come in the game moments and things that yeah. we need to change and we need to be focused and ready to be able to give everything that they need and the information on the field. Some sports are using more analytics. Others will tell you they rely on gut. When you're coaching the game and you're watching, are you relying more on flow of the game and your gut feeling if you have to make an adjustment or are you relying on data no data is important for me but i go more with my gut and uh and if uh the data gives more information for us to be even better definitely but i think this sport any sport you have to have the part of you know your gut in in your feelings and you yeah. remembering and the things that you have seen and uh, in order for you to make decisions, and sometimes they go in a good way, sometimes they don't, but you have to follow your gut. I'm the same way. If you look at the show sheet for today's show, there's nothing on it. It's just, here's the three guests, boom, the rest is open, right? And I just kind of go where the show takes us. But do you make a list of the things you need to talk about? Like right now, I'm assuming you're going to go back to the locker room, you're going to talk to your guys. Do you have a list of things you want to get to, or do you kind of just see how the I conversation... I have a list of things that I want to put on the board, uh, but then I go and, and it's uh, free-falling, meaning yeah. uh, just trying to make sure that I go and I speak to the things that I want to make sure that the players understand. And, um, and sometimes I do write something to make sure that I remember. Or sometimes I write it on the board one word, two words, to make sure that I remember and I can say those things. Because for me, information is very important. But also, too much information yeah. is not uh, very good. So you try to be as... As uh, simple as you can be. Yeah, because you've played and you know you don't want the coach in your ear the whole time. You got to be free to, to not afraid to make a mistake, right? That's correct. But you also want to be equipped with the knowledge. Uh, I'm watching the fans come through the gates right now as they've opened the gates here at Providence Park, and you know there's hope. These are these are fans who are coming here tonight to. 
to see this team perform. Do you get a feel before a game? Can you tell if you're going to play well or not by being in the locker room, or do you have to wait till you get on the field to kind of see the it's game? A, it's a whole process. First is how I see the players during the practice, then when they come into the facility, uh, and then after is when we go for warm-ups in, in their body language during the warm-up uh, tells me a lot to what I think is going to be at the beginning of the game. Um, and sometimes uh, it's uh, accurate, sometimes yeah. it's not. Uh, but you always get a good you know, feeling. Also, the how the fans are going to be that day yeah. uh, influencing the, the match. Yeah. The fans are going to be amped, I can tell. They were here early, they're outside the stadium. It feels, there's a little electricity here. What's the feel that you have right now about this game and this team? That is going to be a high-intensity match. It's, uh, it's a game that both teams understand that it's going to be very difficult. And I think it's going to be a, a match that, as always, never disappoints. It's the biggest derby or classical or, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it in the United States. All right. What are you wearing on the sideline tonight? Uh, just a suit, normal suit. What kind of suit? Is it Blue, you, light blue. Do you wear anything mom designs anymore? No, no, not as much. She no. uh, She's in Italy right now. Yeah. And uh, occasionally, uh, you know, she when we connect, we get together. Uh, she's still doing things, but uh, not, not as many. Does she ever say, Gio? I didn't like what you were wearing. You need to wear uh, more blue or more gray. No, 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 not at all, not at all, no, no. But I do, for example, if something breaks, I go, can you just fix this? Yeah. And that's it. And it happens in a, in a matter of, you know, very quick. All right. Hey, I appreciate you stopping by. Good luck to you tonight. Just know I was here when you won the Cascadia Cup. And, I, and look, I don't show up all the time. Send a limo. Okay, Come on. I will. All right. Gio, Giovanni Savarisi, Timbers coach. Timbers, Sounders coming up. They're, they've opened the gates, some electricity. Judah, just for a second, I want. I was so tempted to say, can you give us a soccer is life? Can you give us, you know, can you give us a little soccer is life? No? He, he could have done that. He loves saying uh, passion. Passion is his big word. He dropped he, it a couple times there. He's very intense. Yeah, very intense. And, and I think it's interesting because, look, his job's on the line. They don't make the playoffs. There's going to be a little noise here in Timbersland about is he the coach moving forward if not you know Are you going to write that jockatsell.com no. no no but here's what i think <laughs> i think that there's actually a silver lining for him that there's a there, there's a lot of noise around this franchise right now there's noise around ownership there's noise around the thorns the handling of that scandal i think it actually works in geo's favor right now because i think if they miss the playoffs i don't think they want to deal with a coaching search and a firing and all i actually think for him I think it takes a little bit of the pressure off because a lot of the chatter right now, it's the elephant in the stadium. You know, Merritt Paulson has to talk at some point. Yeah. He's got to talk. He's going to answer questions. I said it earlier. He stopped by the broadcast booth. I requested for him to be on the show. They said he's not. The MLS has an open investigation. They don't want him to be on the show. So um, he said he will come on the show. He will answer all the questions. He's eager to do that. Great. Let's do it. All right? I'm, you know, I'm not somebody who's going to, you know, walk into the stadium and not address the fact that there's a giant elephant sitting at midfield. Right. So at some point he's got to talk, and I'm eager to talk with him about it. But Timber Sounders tonight, and for fans who are coming here to Providence Park, I'm glad they have a soccer match that is a meaningful match, That, and I hope their team plays well. Absolutely. How about that? Only like six, seven games, including this one, left in the regular season. Between now and October 9th, Portland's got a lot of work to uh, to make up to get into the playoffs, but... It really starts tonight. It would be a slight reprieve if they can beat Seattle tonight in a series historically dominated by the road teams 
that come to Lumen Field and come to Providence Park. Hopefully the Timbers can defend their home turf. I only show up for big games. This is a big one. This is a big game. All right. Leave it here. You've got John Canzano and the bald-faced truth from Providence Park, site of Portland versus Seattle on 750 The Game. I want you to start lining up right now. What's your peeve? We do it every Friday on this show. There are very few things that uh, we're that are scheduled and scripted. That's one of them. I want to know what's been bothering you, what's on your mind, what did you see today? What came to mind when I said, what is your peeve? Are you mad at the people at grocery stores that don't put their carts back in the cart corral? Are you mad on the freeway at people who drive like idiots? Uh, what's your peeve? 503-417-7575. Uh, we're going to go around the room as well. Judah Newby, I want to know what your peeve is. Engineer Thor, I want to know what your peeve is. Big <laughs> Packers fan. He's actually an owner of the Packers. He owns a share, one share? Two shares of the Packers. We've got the majority owner right here. <laughs> the Packers. <laughs> we're gonna, I'm going to ask you what your peeve is. It might be Aaron Rodgers related, just a warning for our audience. But I want you to line up, 503-417-7575. Stephen, cue it up. What's your peeve? What's your peeve? Oh, that pisses me off. That pisses me right off. Call 503-417-7575 and tell Kinzano what's your peeve on the BFT. Brought to you by Revolution Dental Implant Center. A smile revolution, one day solution. I like the delay before that final little tag there. Uh, I actually got... turned your mic down because I knew it was coming. <laughs> you knew I was going to. Every week I've screwed that up. I love it. I love you getting a little insert in there. Yeah. We turn your mic on for that part. Uh, we have Engineer Thor. Yes, we have, yes, yes. Uh, you are majority owner of the Packers, is that right? Well, no, no. That goes back to those guys that bought it way back then. Yeah. That's heritage stuff. But, see, I have to buy two because you have to will it. You can't oh. sell it. So oh. I have to give one to each kid. When, oh, when that's smart wow. of you. See, there you no go. No favorites. Nice. No, and then they can fight over it after that. I don't You're kind of like Paul Allen. Yes. <laughs> you know? Who's selling his $1 billion art yes. yeah, 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 collection. That's me entirely right you, there. You have two shares of the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll get to you in a second. Okay. Uh, Judah, I want to have you think about what your peeve is. Call, listeners, I want you to join this. 503-417-7575. It's always fun. It's a Friday. What's your peeve? Steven, Sean, uh, who wants to go first? Who is really fired up right now? I can go first, and okay. I'm really fired up because I love gambling and college football is back. I can't bet legally on my phone with college football. There's 18 games that are between two FBS teams from now till next Friday. I like 11 games to bet on, <laughs> but I can't do it legally on my phone. Now, I can go do it illegally, or I can travel, travel somewhere, but I just would love to do it from my phone, make it very uh, convenient. So it really does bother me every college football season. House Bill 1503, last legislative session, proposed to legalize college wagering in the state. The money raised from it was going to go to provide scholarships for low-income students. It was blocked by lobbyists for the tribal casinos who said, we need to study this, which is code for kill the bill. Kill the bill. That's a good peeve. Judah, what's your peeve? My peeve is uh, Sounders fans. Mm. They really <laughs> piss me off. <laughs> Seen them walking around here. Yeah. Like they own the place. Yeah. It's like 
get out of here, man. You're going to be here for three hours. It's, they just got this cockiness about them that I, it makes me want to puke, man. I, I don't get Seattle soccer fans. There's one real football team in Seattle, and that is your Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. Okay. There's no room for another one. Okay. Up 10 Sounders zero, fans. by the way. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> it is week one, right? Like these games matter? Yeah. 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 Uh, Sounders fans are my peeve, John. I mean, come on now. Yeah. They bring, they're bringing their middle fingers here to yeah. the stadium, I can tell you that. Uh, let's go to Thor, Engineer Thor. Okay, so mine is going to be controversial because okay. there's going to be two opinions on why this is a peeve. Okay. Okay, it's the zipper merge. <laughs> okay, I'm a patient guy. Yeah. If everybody just goes one, two, one, two, one, two. Yeah, it's but fair. But there's this guy that just has to be four cars ahead of everybody else to wait in this line, you know what I mean? And he's... And he's sipping pie. Everybody else yep. see, doesn't wait his turn. I, I don't like that guy. Yep, I yeah, I don't either. If you just do the one two one two one two, everything's good. What do you do to that guy if you encounter him in the wild? Well, I, you do not let him in for number one. That no, he can just sit there. I don't care how long he sits there. Yeah, yeah. I yep. get that way. I don't. I don't quite get road ragey, but I'm, no. But I think about it. I do. You know, it, you're on the verge <laughs> yes. of using those special skills that only yeah. a few people have. You know, and yeah. just losing it. Yeah. It's just it. it yeah. It's rude. Is yeah. what it is. Yeah. It, it's not considerate, and that bothers me. Yeah. 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 I'm with you. And for people who don't okay. know, we're talking about driving. Okay? Yes. <laughs> yes. Zipper lane. The zipper merge. lane. It's the a zipper mer merge. It's a merge situation. How about this? What about in a situation where a whole bunch of people have lined up in the left lane, but the right lane's open? Do you, oh. do you think it's okay for somebody so, from the back to go to the Technically, front? yes, because the zipper merge doesn't end till it ends. You know, okay. so the people that those are other people. That's another pet peeve. Yeah. The people that try to get in way too soon. Yeah. You're screwing it up for everybody else. Just yeah. go up to the front. One, two, one, two. What do you about? What about? Okay. So if you're heading I-5 South and you get to Wilsonville. Yeah, which I do. It does. It goes down, right? <clears throat> Every day. What, what about the people who stay too long in the right-hand lane because they're trying to get ahead, 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 and then cut over? Stopping traffic so everywhere. So now the thing is, if they're if they're still within the zipper merge <laughs> yeah, area, yeah. I have to let it go. I have okay. to be okay with it. Yeah, peace with it. I have to be. You're uh, you're listening to cars. They're following with the rule. <laughs> they're following the rule. That's all I know. All right. So you are you need uh, people just to have common sense and yeah. not be rude and impatient. That's it. Exactly. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's a good one. Thor should zipper be on merge. every Friday. There you go. I thought you were going to say Aaron Rodgers. No, just the tattoo. I don't, get, I don't understand the tattoo. Yeah. If it brings a Super Bowl, then great. Love the tattoo. Do you think the Go window's for open for a Super Bowl right now for that? I do. Just because of how young everything around him is, mm -hmm. it's great. And yeah. then some other teams have kind of fallen back. I actually am really worried about the Niners. They looked bad last night. Well, the Niners and, you know, to me, honestly – you know, everybody will say, don't doubt Brady. But, you know, it wasn't great last year. And what's really returning this year that makes anybody think that that's the team? I mean, yeah. there's so much young. I mean, I just look at the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Cincinnati. Why can't they be there again? There's it, so much. Uh, I don't know. He's such a good player. Do you think if he doesn't win a Super Bowl here in this cycle that the narrative in Green Bay is going to be they underachieved? Yeah. With him, they had a, they had a I think generational point, talent. Yeah, yeah, just because, you know, everything else is so young and so healthy. If you can't do it in the next two years, then yeah. there's something going on. Kind of feels that way. It feels like the Atlanta Braves of, like, the 90s. Like, they should have won, like, six World they Series. They should have. You're exactly and, right. And they didn't yeah. get there. Uh, let's go to Sean. Sean, what's your peeve? Yeah, in the spirit of this uh, rivalry tonight, Seattle traffic, man, it's, it's – <laughs> 
one of the worst. I, I did a little trip to Seattle yesterday. I It took me five hours. You know, it's traditionally oh. three hours, technically. It's, it was a five-hour thing, and it's just bumper-to-bumper traffic. You hit it in Olympia. You hit it in Tacoma. It's just awful. I You know, I like to complain about Oregon traffic, Portland traffic, specifically Sunset Highway. Um, but Seattle, it's so much worse, and it uh, it makes going to Seattle much less enjoyable experience every time. What were you doing, going to a little little trip to Seattle on like a Thursday? Uh, the weekend. Oh, you went to that concert? I did. Uh, yes. How good was it? Good? Did Stephen go with you? Stephen did not go with me. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was fantastic. It was you know sold out football stadium. It was worried a lot of fun. about I'm worried about Stephen. I was working to the bone in the station. Yeah, Stephen <laughs> Stephen covered me actually. He was, peop- I owe Stephen one. For people who don't know, Stephen has never been to a concert in his life. He's never seen a live music performance. Stevie Ray Vaughan has never been to a concert. That's terrible. Do you think something's wrong there, Thor? That he hasn't been to a no, concert? No, because I get it. Because I don't do a ton of them either. But, hey, in 1990, what was it, two or three, sitting out there at what was the dog track still, uh-huh. you know, or no, actually it was the horse track and Metallica. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Live in a sweaty mess in the summer. It's beautiful. Yeah. Those were good times. Sean's yeah. got two concerts and two nights, right, Sean? Uh, yeah. yeah. It's a it's a crazy experience. Yeah. I got yeah. a Kendrick Lamar tonight, actually. Oh. I saw the Backstreet Boys last week. Is that How does that rank? <laughs> Yeah, Backstreet Boys sounds enjoyable. That's for different, Very different target audiences. Backstreet Boys was like watching an old-timers game. You know, it was like seeing Harmon Killebrew in his late 50s <laughs> trying to hit a home run. Anna, lo- Anna looked very happy, though, I know. in her pictures online. She looked very happy. She was happy. I was on my phone Googling what happened to this guy. What You know, one guy had been in, one guy had been in rehab. Another guy was the subject of a bunch of lawsuits. Uh, so I was doing that, but I, you know what? No lines at the restrooms, and I actually found it really enjoyable to watch the Backstreet Boys do their thing. I think any live performance is decent. Like I, I would watch just about anybody perform live, like music-wise. Yeah. I just think, I, even if I'm not a fan of their music, I think there's something to be gained from it. Um, all right, I want to know what your peeve is at 503-417-7575. I'll share mine coming up. You got the bald face truth. The BFT with John Canzano, live from Providence Park on 750 The Game. For those of you uh, who are going to stick around for the pregame show, Fletcher Johnson, the great Fletcher Johnson, Liam Ridgewell, plus Joe and Keith will be joining as part of the broadcast here at Providence Park. We're playing uh, What's Your Peeve? My Peeve? I wrote about it today at johnconzano.com. If you are subscribed, you got it in your email inbox this morning. My peeve is Jody Allen. Sell the Blazers already. You know, you're treating them like they're not even a painting. They're not an automobile. They're not a yacht. They're not Paul Allen's apartment in Manhattan. They're not his mansion. All of those things have been liquidated from his estate. The Blazers and the Seahawks remain held hostage in that estate. It's not right. It's not fair to fans. It's not good for the franchise. My peeve is that Jody Allen has not sold the Blazers yet. That auction, a billion dollars worth of paintings are going to be sold. The submarine's been sold. The helicopter's been sold. The yacht's gone. Just sell the damn team. Let somebody who cares about the team buy the team. That's my peeve. Mike's in Portland. Mike, what's your peeve? Hey, John, it's it's the uh, phrase that these people say. They make just want to flick them on the ear, particularly from Arizona. And the phrase is, it's a dry heat. 
<laughs> it's a dry heat. That bothers you. It drives me crazy. There's no such thing. I'm from Tennessee, and up here, this is, you know, this is driving me crazy. It's a dry heat. What does that mean? So, anyway. Yeah, yeah I love that. Well, be careful out there. It's going to be warm this weekend. It's a dry heat. I hate it when people say flick them on the ear. <laughs> yeah, I, I've experienced that 110-degree dry heat before. So, yeah, I can attest. That's it's terrible. Just, it's stuff. uncomfortable. The heat, though, you've lived you've lived in some other places. I lived in Tallahassee, Florida once. That Gross. heat sucks. Oh, Grand, yeah. Green Bay, yeah. you know, 89 degrees and pouring down rain. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. yeah. The one time I was at Disney World in Orlando, it was 90 degrees but pouring rain on me. <laughs> it was the worst. Yeah. You take a shower, you go outside, and then you go, I need a shower again. That's how that <laughs> heat goes. My wife does say the dry heat a lot. She loves Vegas. She's like, oh, it's a dry heat. So... <laughs> So Mike, Mike doesn't like my wife. That's okay. Your, uh, the oven is a dry heat. You know, when you turn on your oven at 425, that's a dry heat. Um, all right, so of the peeves, guys, everybody's given their peeve. What peeve wins? Who has the best peeve? I kind of like Steven liking yeah. 11 games to bet on and not having a way to do it in college football this weekend. That is that a problem? Is that a problem that it I have? Or? I think it's a skill. We, it's, Week zero is my peeve. They're, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to be watching a lot of college. I'm not interested in any of the games this weekend. Well, if you bet on 11 of the 18, you'll be interested. <laughs> well, I'm curious, Stephen, if you put your picks out there, what your record will be if you were going to bet. And then we'll know, like, did like were you really – was it a blessing that yeah. you couldn't bet? Well, or, I, I'm, that's false. I probably will make bets somewhere, John. <laughs> you are going to bet them anyway. Yeah. So what do you do? What do you do if you can't wager? Are you going to go to one of the casinos? Well, or? I was talking to Judah today. Uh, last year I was doing that. I was going down to the casino. I, I think I might do that. I'm working the Timbers game. I got nothing else to do. It's a Friday night. Kids will be asleep when I'm done working, so might as well make a drive out there and make some bets. So which casino do you go to? What do you, what's your pick? Well, I would go to a and but they don't have the sports book open yet, so uh, i got to go down to Spirit Mountain. You go into Spirit Mountain, or you go to, I think Chinook Winds has a little sports book, too. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, All they right. do, uh, but Spirit Mountain's a little closer, you know. That's better than going offshore. Is that what you're saying? I mean, I, not yeah. that I'm against offshore. <laughs> I've definitely done it. I, <laughs> I've definitely it. Yeah. <laughs> I, only, I only got my identity sold once, so it's okay. <laughs> now we know. Well, Steven doesn't have time for a concert. we got to bet Timber Sounders tonight, man. Yeah. All right. All right, who you got in the game tonight? Whatever Judah says. Right. Go, you got to go Timbers. Yeah, you got to go Timbers. The road, the road team trend bothers me. Timbers yeah. are so freaking desperate, though. We got to have this well, one. Right, we don't Timber, want to have this Timber's one. Timbers money line. Timbers money line. I'm in. Kiss the playoffs. <laughs> Kiss the playoffs goodbye if you don't win this yeah, one. Yeah, just uh, be careful. If you start getting, if you get on like the DraftKings app and start betting on Australian basketball, we know you're in trouble. I, d- I did that one night. I had Perth minus the points and didn't end well for me. All right, leave it here. The pregame show coming up. Fletcher Johnson and the great Liam Ridgewell ahead.